What's up, friends? Welcome back to the Nerd Like Me podcast. I'm Corey Allen. I'm here with Chris Gladden. What's going on? How we doing? Good, good. Um, <clears throat> so first and foremost, we uh, kind of next week we we bought our tickets today for Dragon Ball Super Brawly. Yeah, getting some more some new Dragon Ball. Yeah, um, uh, you know I'm looking forward to it because it'll be my first time seeing um, Dragon Ball in a theater. Um, I know that they've um, had days. I think Resurrection F was also a theater release. Um, and I know, I think I've seen some theaters doing like some of the older movies too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never, I've never gone. Um, so I'm kind of looking for, I, we went and saw the My Hero Academia movie um, when that was released. And that was really cool to see in a theater. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of lo- really looking forward to this one. Um, I've heard some really good things uh, from people that have watched the uh, subbed version. Um <clears throat> I don't think that's available uh, legally yet in the States, but um, people have obviously found ways to watch it. It was like the day or day after it came out and I saw the entire thing on Facebook. Like someone had uploaded two hours worth of cell phone video. Did you watch it? No. Oh, okay. I just like kind of saw what it was and I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. I I don't want to think the thing about that is, and and I I see this a lot with a lot of movies, I guess, um, is that what's the point? Like for me... I don't want to just know what happens. Like no. I do want to know what happens, but it's an experience, right? I want right. to see a good picture. I want to mm-hmm. hear good sound. Like I don't want to watch somebody's cell phone shaking around, and I can't. And I'm trying to read subtitles that I can't even read because they're so far away. And, no, I'm 100 percent with you there. Um, it just takes away from the whole experience when when it's that low quality. Mm-hmm. Like the it's pl- distracting. You yeah, know. I mean, so I'm I'm happy to pay to go see something that I want to go see, um, or wait until it comes out on a format, you know, like on on streaming or something. Yeah, um, because it, it just doesn't make sense to me to ruin the experience or cheapen the experience like that, um, just for a, a couple weeks. Like you're not missing anything, man. Like no. it's, it's going to be the same story. Have you Have you seen any of the stuff with Brawley in it before? I have not, um, which I think we mentioned. I might have mentioned when I talked about how I got uh, the Brawley action figure. Yeah, that's right. And I yep. said I hadn't even I didn't even know who Brawley was. Yeah. Um, and I've actually not watched a lot of the Dragon Ball Z movies, um, largely because they're most of them aren't considered canon. Mm-hmm. They're just like they're little, not good. I mean, yeah, I remember I mean, I've watching seen like. Um, there was one with like Garlic Jr. I remember watching. Yeah, I mean, there was Vampire. a yeah, there was a couple of them like that that I watched, but I mean, I don't think any of them were that good. No, um, none, of those, none of those were any good at all. And, and and especially for me, I don't like to dilute canon. Like it's one of the reasons that I was kind of upset when um, Disney decided to like exile a bunch of Star Wars content from canon because. Now I have to go back and try and think, like, was this part of the story officially, or is yeah. this Legends? So, like, like when I, I find out, like, oh, there's all these Dragon Ball Z movies, but none of them are part of the story, I don't want to have to be like, do you remember when this happened, but it didn't really happen? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the actual story, and it's like, it just, it's not worth that to me. No, um, I agree. You know, eventually, <laughs> like we've seen now, they will, if, if it's good enough, and, and they will make more content that is part of the story. Um, and that's good enough for me. Um, it's kind of, like, I mean, at that point is it's almost a fan film. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it basically is the same thing. Yeah. It might have a little bit higher production value or whatever, but I mean, as far as like it counting, it's like, the, I mean, you could make a go film a star Wars movie and put it on YouTube and be like, Hey guys, watch this. That, I mean, I actually saw recently that some people were doing some new fan film for star Wars. Yeah. And well, the they, production value actually looked They had something decent. at uh Supercon. Yeah. There was something about it was a they had a booth and mm-hmm. some kind of trooper armor set up, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't really, 
Um, I've not seen many of the Dragon Ball Z movies. Um, Resurrection F, I, I don't even know. I think that was part of the story, but I think they retold it in Super. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've seen most of the movies, but I don't. Uh, I don't recommend most of them to anybody unless you just can't get enough. Which there's, I mean, how many episodes of Dragon Ball? Oh my god, like man! <laughs> I mean, between Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Super, I mean, you'd yeah. be you'd be busy for a while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, I think this is cool that it is part of the official story. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, they're playing off of the success of Dragon Ball Super, which is what we want to see, right? Like, um, this is one, and I know one of the things we complain about a lot um, is that you get these really good animes that have great fan bases. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the creators are just like, well, never mind. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, man. Like, like, like. What are they doing? You know, it must just be some Japanese thing. And I, 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 I mean, I can kind of get it. Like at a certain point, like if you're not feeling the creativity anymore, is it worth even making more? Even if people are just so ravenous for it that they would want anything. When you think about the culture of the Japanese people, I mean, they're perfectionist to the T. Yeah, you know, I think they're that's not going to just put out. And I think that's you know, where, and I think you have to find the the right balance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and that's where I think Marvel and Disney have really nailed it, right? You see, you see some of these other movie studios, like, I, and I'll be honest, I mean, James Bond is one of them that ring that comes to mind. Like, yeah. they have a, there are a lot of really good movies, and I love James Bond, so I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. But there's also a lot of crap in there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what happens when you're just like, fuck it. These movies sell, so regardless of whether we have something good or not, we're just going to pump it out every mm-hmm. so often and and you know cash our checks. Um, and, and Disney has found a way to like on a consistent basis produce good content. Yeah, um, and, and, and it keeps getting better. That's right, what, that's well, just what amazes me is um, that they're able. They to, didn't to improve. Ju- they yeah. didn't just make like Iron Man one, and now every movie is like Iron Man one. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, they've pushed the bar with almost every single one of these films. At least the ones that that uh, kind of like... I, I mean, I, actually, I would say that 80% of them, they've pushed the bar for. Yeah. Um, Ant-Man, the first one was, was pretty decent um, at pushing the bar forward. I think Ant-Man 2 just kind of followed the same formula as the first one. Yeah, they didn't add a whole lot. Yeah. <clears throat> but when you look at Thor... Two to three. Oh, big difference. Um, you look at all of the movies. Uh, I mean, all they the have their American low spots, movies. right? They're yeah. not all. They're not all one better than the next. But I think in yeah. general, if we looked at the trend of mm-hmm. from the very start to uh, Infinity War, they've in general increased in quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I 100 percent agree. So I'm I'm happy to see that Dragon Ball is taking this idea that hey, people like our franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, let's make content for it. Yeah. You know, um, they're not pumping it out so fast that it's bullshit. I mean, it's a, it's amazing that they're coming out with it now. I mean, we're talking about what twenty five years yeah, later, man. something like that. I mean, like I, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I was watching Dragon Ball Z on Saturday morning cartoons. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you know, it's like Toonami back in you know the nineties. So like, I watched it on, uh, after yeah. school, man. Yeah, I remember that was like the you know. I don't remember very much specifically from when I was younger for whatever reason. I just didn't, I don't remember it, mm-hmm. but, um, I do remember 100% coming home and being glued to that damn TV during the Frieza saga. Yeah. Like 
that is that was the one thing I remember. I had to get home, and I remember sitting there watching it, and just my mind being blown every single episode. Like, with what is going on? What are they going to do next? <laughs> yeah, how are they going to turn up the power level in this episode? Yeah, but, it's well, like, there's no, no way they're ever going to beat the Ginyu Force. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's the one thing that I loved about that saga in particular, which is actually that may be a discussion that we can go into to kind of um, we were a little short on topics. Maybe this is a good one in Dragon Ball Z. Um, you know, someone posted who's like the most iconic villain, and there was like Cell, Majin Buu, um, Frieza, and maybe somebody else. Maybe maybe Vegeta, but Vegeta I don't really think counts. But yeah. anyways, really, I think it was between Cell and Frieza were the mm-hmm. two main ones. Raditz, right? maybe no, because he's he's a couple episodes really. I mean, he's not. Um, I mean, he kind of kicks it all off though. I yeah, mean, give, give him some credit. Eh. <laughs> um, but. And to me, the only answer is is for, if we're talking iconic, it's got to be Frieza. Yeah, the Frieza in Goku agree. rivalry is like the epitome of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, he's the one that brought Goku to Super Saiyan level one. Yeah, I mean, he changed everything, right? Yeah, and I mean, in Frieza, and this is what I loved about the Frieza saga was like even like you start with Raditz and you get to Nappa and Vegeta. Um, and in that whole time, they're doing these terrible things, and you want to stop them. They're making these threats to, to destroying Earth and t- you know killing people and all that stuff. But even then, they're making references to like there's something big, like our boss kind of thing. Yeah, and you're like, all right. So from the very beginning, like somebody's pulling the strings, mm-hmm. and it turns out that that's Frieza. So and, and he's doing stuff that's unthinkable. He's not just killing like a, blowing a city up. He's enslaving races. Yeah, he's blow destroying planets mm-hmm. like, like crazy stuff. Um, and kind of that threat and that like mis like mysticism and all that is built up, not over over one saga but over multiple sagas. Right. Um. So you get to kind of like and then like you said you get to this point and I never actually felt like the power level race had never gotten it didn't actually get crazy at that point. No. Um like everything was actually paced pretty well. Goku's development seemed pretty natural. Like he fights Raditz, right? He loses basically. Mm-hmm. And he, the only reason he comes back stronger is cuz he dies and goes to train with King Kai. So yep. he comes back and he's able to fight Vegeta. Because he trained with King Kai, mm-hmm. and later come to find out because he died, and that makes a Saiyan stronger. But but he so that training makes sense. He learns the Kaioken, right? So that makes him stronger. Um, and then going from there, does he, he does he die again, or how does he? I'm, I'm I'm losing. He gets hurt. Maybe I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I watched it. But Krillin and Gohan go and Bulma go to Namek first. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember why Goku didn't go. It's been so long since I've seen it. Now I'm trying to... Th- I don't remember why he but didn't But for whatever go. reason... He, well, yeah, I think I, he might I have been injured. He was... He was injured. I think he was yeah. injured. Oh, that's right. Because he was on Earth. And they didn't have any... The reason they're able to heal so fast later is because A, mm-hmm. Sensu Beans, yeah. which I don't think they had any more of at that point. Mm-hmm. And then... Or the, the healing pods that the Saiyans use. Yeah. Like the little tanks. Um... So, and they, but they obviously didn't have any of those. So I think Goku was just healing, and they were like, well, we're going to go ahead and go, and he can come after us. Right. Um, and Bulma's dad builds him the, the little training pod, or the pod, that the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is able to train the entire way there, but not only just train, he's training at multiples of Earth's gravity. Right. So not only did he almost die again, which makes him stronger, then he's able to spend a, a long-ass time training at an incredibly intense rate right mm-hmm. so then therefore he comes back and he's stronger than he was before that makes sense 
You know, it's something that's kind of interesting is that um, I watched a little theory thing a while back about training with the uh, the weighted clothes like he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it's not really realistic. Like you're not going to become super strong because but of it. Work. Um, but you you definitely get some increases in it. Well, for um, sure. I mean, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, if you look at um, the skeletal muscle mass of an obese person versus someone who's like weighs 150 pounds, there's more muscle on the obese person. Yeah, you got to move around more weight all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the same thing would work, right? Yeah. If you're if you you wear like weighted ankle bracelets or whatever, and you're jumping and running. Well, when you, if you improve your speed with those things on, then you're improving them that much more with them off. Right. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, the biggest <clears throat> thing was that it was saying that like, you would think that wearing clothes that like doubled your weight would increase your strength times too. No, it's never that and, much. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, that's, that's kind of what Dragon Ball Z suggests, right? Like, like he's well, he's training at two times Earth's yeah, gravity or whatever, and so now he's like twice as strong. You know that kind of thing. You know is obviously well, it's not, not there's be not real. science, right? But there's yeah. there's plausibility in that. Like they're doing something to get stronger. Mm-hmm. That's my point, right? Yeah. Um, I it, just think, I just thought it was a really interesting one. It was a uh, oh man, I can't even remember who did it now. Science Science Fi or something like that on YouTube. He he does a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of really interesting theories that uh, that kind of are nerd related. Yeah, so I mean that I mean that's a good one. Um so but anyway, so then he he gets to Namek, he fights the Ginyu Force, I think first. Um and he whoops their asses for the most part until he gets to Captain Ginyu mm-hmm. and ends up getting really injured through a bunch of crazy things where they switch bodies and whatnot. Um and and then he has to go back into the healing tank. So he almost dies, comes back stronger mm-hmm. because he's a Saiyan, then he's able to fight Frieza. Yeah. Um but the whole time in Freeze is like if doing his evolutions when he's fighting the other guys, um, and then Goku comes along and they're fighting, and and Freeze still is like real reserved. Like you can tell he's just he's not real trying. Um, yeah. And then we we finally get to the like when Goku turns Super Saiyan, you're like, oh wow, shit! Like I mean, it makes sense if Freeze can transform, and maybe everybody else can too. Yeah, absolutely. Which which makes sense. And then but this Final Fantasy <laughs> final boss action going on. Yeah. Um <laughs> and, and so I mean that's such a cool like just transition and even the um like the I I, I think I, I don't know if I played it with it might have been a podcast that Aaron and I did but Goku's speech when he turned Super Saiyan is just fucking awesome. Yeah. Um and one of my favorite scenes is when it's uh right at the right after Goku turned Super Saiyan and uh, Frieza goes to punch him and he just grabs his fist and like squeezes it and Frieza just like bends over in front of him and he's just like the look on his face is like oh fuck like yeah, it's like finally <laughs> finally he's met that challenge and he yeah. just was not expecting it and, and even guy. for me like the look on Goku's face changed um he was real serious and and angry looking yeah. um and 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 then the later we get into the show Goku gets to be almost this like comic relief character mm-hmm. where everything's just kind of a joke to him he's just trying to like spar with everybody and and see how strong he can be and and to me that wasn't the Goku that I loved like I loved the yeah. Goku that was like nah man I'm going to rise this challenge because if I don't you're going to destroy the rest of the world yeah exactly and not, and, and, and he's not being selfish no. in it being that all he cares about is fighting the strongest guy out there. Yeah, he's trying. He's he's got a purpose, right? He's right. a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that he doesn't also do heroic things later in the in the show, I guess. But they're not as genuine, and they don't have like like I said. I, I kind of like that uh, almost like 
I'm the good guy, but I'm going to fucking whoop your ass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, you, you kind of mentioned who your favorite villain is from the Dragon Ball Z. Who's who's your favorite uh, hero? Oh, it's Vegeta. Mine's definitely Goku. But yeah, but I mean, Goku's, but, like, like but said, most of my memory of Goku is what you're talking about. Is, yeah, is is that saga? Is the Frieza saga? Like yeah. I don't really remember because well, Goku a lot. really doesn't play a whole lot of a part in the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, he really doesn't. Um, he opens that door to Super Saiyan, but um, then you get to the Android Saga, and he's got that heart disease. Mm-hmm. So he pretty much bows out of that fight, and then Cell comes along, and Goku, you know, basically doesn't play a part in that that much. I mean, he basically lets himself die. Yeah. Um, and then in Maj- with the Majin Buu Saga, I mean, he comes back. I think from the Afterworld, he's not even alive. Um, so. You know, he doesn't really end any of the other major threats. I guess they do come back, and then he fuses with Vegeta at the end. Um, but still, it's just, uh, he, he becomes less and less of the protagonist, yeah. really. Um, but but you know, going back to the power level thing, after that is when it starts to get funky, right? Um, because then they don't necessarily, like, there's some off-screen training or, or something. But then a lot of times it's just like, oh, now I can go Super Saiyan 2. Right. And all of a sudden, my power is just now mysteriously this much more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, how many times are we going to just do this? Because that's really what happens, right? It's like, oh, now we're Super Saiyan 3, and now we're all these other things. Now we confuse, and that doubles yeah, our I mean, power. They, they just kind of lost that ability to create, you know... Plausibility, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Or, the, or just an, an interesting narrative that doesn't include just multiplying the power level like that's the only thing that i don't like about dragon ball z is is like why is everything just solved by being stronger yeah they don't have to learn how to fight better yeah they don't have to learn how to think around uh, through a situation or whatever it's Mm -hmm. like find somebody's weakness early on it you know it's like oh um you know he learns how to do a kamehameha and that's like a big thing he learns how to do the spirit bomb and that's a big thing you know um like a koken right i mean yeah and, he learned super, the Super Saiyan technique, mm-hmm. which is fine, is one technique. Right. And it was like, oh, that's all we got. So this is times three. Right. <laughs> and why is it that, like, all these threats are always, you know, some multiple of what they were before? You know what I'm saying? Like, he has to rise right. up how to be... Cell not the same power as Frieza? Yeah. You know, and it... But he does know, something... Just... Maybe he does something else that makes exactly. him a harder like, fight. Like, you think about, I mean, playing through, like, Mega Man or something like that. Like, all the bosses... Maybe he just regenerates. I mean, shit, it yeah. could have been as simple as that. Yeah, all the bosses are, are different, and some may be slightly harder than others just because their mechanic is slightly different. Right. But it but they're not necessarily, like, just more powerful They don't have twice as one. much health. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... So, and I get that you're going to have some progression because, you know, I mean, any athlete is going to compete and get stronger over time, yeah. but they're not going to get that many multiple stronger. And, and, and I don't want to compare it too much to real life, but it's just, it's, it's just not as interesting to me. It just got when gimmicky. The ne- yeah. When the next step is just, well, I'm now it's blue hair. It's like, right. Well, you know, it doesn't like the other thing that started killing me is like after Super Saiyan level three, like they don't even look cool anymore. Like it's just like just some weird like level four. Like he's like got this like well, that bestial really look yeah. with a tail that's, that's and red canon. hair. <laughs> well, I mean, and then, you know, God level, you know, he's just got like blue hair. He's red hair. Right. Or, so or, so Super, Super Saiyan God was red hair. Okay. Um, I think it was maybe Saiyan God. It was red hair. It was the first thing he transformed into. Yeah. 
and then they learned Super Super Saiyan Blue is what they called it. Okay. But Super Saiyan God, I'm pretty sure was or Saiyan God was just red hair. Okay. Um, and then the Super Saiyan Blue was the um, was the one you're talking about. Yeah. And then, then of course, then he goes Ultra Instinct, and he's uh, got black like black ish hair with like this white outline and kind of this I don't know. Um, it just doesn't. It, and then it, doesn't he eventually like come all the way back to where I guess spoilers for everybody, but um, where like um, the Ko Ken technique is the like so taking he, that to the next level so, makes him to the next level. Well, so at one point in the series, he's using like when he gets a Super Saiyan Blue, they don't go Super Saiyan Blue two. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses, or at least I haven't figured that out yet. I mean, it might be conceivable, but we'll see that next Wednesday. But um, they. He uses orange. he uses Kaioken to go above Super Saiyan Blue, mm-hmm. so he uses that as a multiplier on his Super Saiyan Blue power. Um, now Vegeta does some sort of like Super Saiyan Blue ascension, um, but it's not real. I don't think it's two necessarily, but um, he powers up somehow from some Super Saiyan Blue. Um, and then like yeah, I said, I need, re- I need to rewatch the Goku's next step from Super Saiyan Blue is Ultra Instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like this crazy flow state where it's 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 weird. Like Vegeta can't do it because Vegeta is too focused on thinking about his actions, right? Whereas Goku's it's instinct. Like he's he's moving without thinking about it, so mm-hmm. he's even faster and and stuff like that. And at first, I want to say there was a point in time where he did it where he couldn't attack because he had to think about his attacks. That's it. But he could be defensive with it. Um, and then, and then, it, of course, he and then, and then he mastered it, and he could attack with it. But then it was, it's also one of those things where it basically takes such a toll on him to do it, right? That it's like um, he's only you know it's it's certain certain time, and then he's kind of screwed. He's got to recover, sort of. Um, and it's been a while since I've watched all that, so if, if I said anything wrong, I mean, yeah, I need to go back and watch me. it because, like I said, I was kind of distracted when I was watching it the first time, and I didn't I didn't finish it either. Um, I think there was I was having some issues with Funimation, yeah. Um, I kept like I think I was trying to watch it on uh, on like my TV, and for some reason, I guess the uh, the internet connection on the TV wasn't good enough for it, and yeah. it would just constantly freeze up. And then I tried to watch it on my PC, and then it would like leave up like the little uh, you know play and pause stuff in there, and it just I can't yeah. see that stuff. <laughs> I can't see or watch a movie with that stuff on the screen i'm just too ocd for that kind of thing so like i started that's i guess that's partially why i got distracted while watching it because i'm just like you're distracted by what's going yeah yeah. that yeah i understand um i yeah i watched it um you know it got to be i was at a really good place so i find that i get distracted with something when it's all available so if i can just sit down and watch dragon ball super like for 10 hours right like it's all on funimation um I will struggle to do the same thing. Like I'll get distracted um, because I'm like, well, I've already been watching this for maybe I'll be, I'll pay attention for the first 30 minutes or an hour. Right. But then after that, I'm kind of like, all right, I just start to, my mind starts to wonder. Yep. But when I was watching it, I caught up to where they were, where they were releasing them. And then it was like every, every, I forget which day it was. It might've been Saturday or something or Sunday or Monday or whatever day it was. There was a new one. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where I was watching it week by week. 20 to 30 minutes, which is kind of funny because I used to complain about having to wait. And it does suck on some levels. But the fact that you get that hype every week where you're like, that's a new one. What's going to happen? Right. Um, it's kind of cool. And like that, antici- like they leave on a cliffhanger and you're like, oh, shit. Now, it sucks. I got to wait a week. The only, but- thing, 
The only thing that kills me about that is like 30 minute episodes are just not long enough. Yeah, for, it does suck. To have to wait a whole week. It like, does suck. Like Game of Thrones, like it feels like an hour, like they can put enough content to where in you're there. like satisfied. Yeah, but 30 minute ones, I'm just like. I understand that. But I hear you, though. I mean, That's, I mean but, there, but the, there main, is something... the main benefit is that I pay attention because I've only right. got 30 minutes to be on task. Mm-hmm. And I'm since I'm I was anticipated and hyped to watch it like it's like I'm not even questioning yeah. doing something else. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to binge watch things. anymore. I mean, mostly of it's because of time, but it's just uh, stuff just hasn't been as interesting to me uh, lately. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just the content that's being displayed is not as interesting or Is it stuff just, you've already watched? Um no. I've been trying to I've been trying to I see people talk about new series on Netflix and stuff and uh I've been trying to like watch an episode or two of different things and it's just you know, you know, they're like, Oh, I've been binge watching this whole thing and uh, I just can't get into them. I the Ozarks I wanna watch season two of, but the first episode I I'm not saying it was a bad episode or anything, but it just didn't pull me back in like the first season. I'll did. be honest. I mean, I think a lot of the content that people are quote like binge watching, it's just because it's there. Yeah. Like we've all gotten to the point where content consumption is so easy mm-hmm. that like it does you I, like I couldn't tell you like there are some things like that. I haven't watched the second season of that that I haven't watched. But throughout since 2009, like I've consumed so much TV and movie content because it's so accessible. Yeah. That, like, I don't even really want to sometimes anymore. Like, if I do, it's because, like, it's a, like, I realized we talked and I hadn't watched Akira a couple months ago. Yeah. So I was like, well, shit, I gotta watch this. This is, like, you know, quintessential anime. So I can watch that. Mm-hmm. But, like, when it's, like, just some random TV show that I don't really have that much of an interest in the story. Yeah. It's gonna be hard for me to sit down and watch 10 hours of that. Yeah, I com- I completely agree with that. I mean, and I think that's part of what it is. Is just like I'm not um, saying it's that. It's not bad, like you're saying. Yeah. But it's not. It's also not that good. Mm-hmm. Um. And and I mean, again, part part of it probably for both of us is that we don't have a ton of time. Yeah. That it's just like you know. That's, I mean, I mean that's the in, biggest factor. Yeah. Right? Back in college, it was like nothing to just like, all right, it's Wednesday. I don't have shit to do. Yeah. Guess I'm watching Netflix for eight hours. Like. I mean, my thing is, is like if I've got, you know, an hour, hour and a half at night before I go to bed to watch something like I want it to be something really good. I want it to be something either nostalgic or just interesting and new or like it's got to it's got to have something that makes it worth that hour and some change um, that I'm dedicating to it because, you know, I I like watching shows and. And I like I like doing different things, um, but I don't really enjoy watching. Well, I mean, I guess part of it is I just don't really enjoy watching TV as much anymore. Like, there's like YouTube where I'm like constantly learning stuff. Yeah, it feels productive, and that feels a little bit better. Like, I feel like I can binge watch more things that that are educational. Um, I mean, not even necessarily educational at face value, right? So, like, you know, you talk about like we're not. I get, I just want to clarify because I don't think I don't want people to think you're watching like how to build a shed like like when I think people think of like educational yeah, stuff on YouTube yeah, yeah. it's like very specific like how to do X Y Z no that's a good thing to clarify and, and yeah. so the content that we might be watching or you might be watching are, I mean are more along the lines of what do I use to make YouTube videos mm-hmm. how did I grow my business yep um, or even something more nerd related like. Let's watch professional magic players play magic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that that's educational. It's yeah. not, here's, no one's walking us through, you know, Peter McKinnon's not saying, well, go buy this camera 
and then take this shot and put it into this software. Like you can piece all that together over time, but they're not that it's not fall at step one, step two, step three. Like it's not like that. Yeah. And I think that's also, I mean, that's a good point because it shows you the content that people are starting to provide on YouTube is getting a lot better. You know, yeah, the, the quality of YouTube videos oh. from today to 10 years like, ago. Let's, like, <laughs> let's make no mistake that a lot of Peter McKinnon's videos look better than shit I watch on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it, I feel like P- if Peter McKinnon filmed um, Aquaman, I'd have liked it more. Probably. <laughs> Had a lot better B-roll, man. Yeah. I'll tell you that. If you guys don't know who Peter McKinnon is, by the way, he's a... Uh, he's, a photographer and videographer. Um, he does a lot of YouTube channels. He's actually kind of a newer one to YouTube. I think he's only been around for like a year and a half, two years, but he's grown quite a following. But uh, he's just got really interesting videos. Um, he has a lot of content um, that is that is kind of educational. He's a lot Based of tutorials creating, and yeah. stuff. Um, on his process, yeah. And but he also has a lot of videos about like why he does things. And he's just got a good personality. Yeah. Yeah, he's interesting to sit there and listen to. So if you're at all interested in photography or art in general, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the things he has to say are, are worth listening to because he doesn't just talk about videography and photography. He talks about like why art is important to him and like being creative. Um, and creativity is not to him not just getting that 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 frame right. You know, yeah. it's not just getting that B roll. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> It, it's a lot more. It's about expressing yourself, and uh, and I think that's one of the things he focuses on a lot. And I think that that's it's a good that's message. what makes him yeah. him stand out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he's yeah. I mean, I don't want to go on to about Peter McKinnon because he's um, not necessarily nerd related, unless you're a, a photography nerd or videography nerd, I guess. But um, but I, I do agree though that the content on YouTube is becoming such high quality that. Like, or even uh, the command zone, right? Um, mm-hmm. Think about, so the command zone is a podcast um, or a, I mean, they do video, so a YouTube video um, that they talk about commander decks and commander things and, and all sorts of stuff. And that's another thing where we're learning when we watch that, right? Yeah. Um, on what how, what are their ways that they feel are best to build a deck? Mm-hmm. What ratio of cards should be in your decks? What, there's a new set coming out. Well, they're going to talk about okay, here's this card that goes well in this kind of deck or whatever. Um, They even did a really great episode and and did a lot of statistical analysis on um, what makes it, like what colors are most effective in Commander and kind of what, like how um, to best increase your odds at winning um, based on statistical analysis of games that had been played. Yeah. Um, which is some really cool data. And what's, I mean, one of the funniest things that we talk about, we've talked about uh, in person about it, is like the fact that like doing really powerful things early in Magic is not an indicator of, or not in Magic, but in Commander is not an indicator of a positive outcome. Yeah, like turn one soul if, ring. If you know what soul ring is, according to their statistics, and it's they're not taking statistics from everybody that's played the game. They're taking statistics from the people that have played games that have sent them their data. Um, but according to their data, like you lose like two percent of your chance to win the game by playing a turn one soul ring because people start targeting you early because you're doing more powerful things early. So now instead of you having you know more powerful things you're getting your powerful things killed while everybody else is developing their board yep. 
Um, so it's just stuff like that that was kind of a cool, you know. It, again, it's learning. They have the, their videos are very high quality. I mean, it looks every bit as good as something that you'd see filmed for mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, yeah. It sounds just as good, all that kind of stuff. So, um, Geek and Sundry is another yeah, really I mean, good example. There are we could go on forever about good YouTube content, but I agree that it's hard for me to sit down and watch some show that somebody that I saw at work is like, if you watch this, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Mm, probably not going to watch that, man. Yeah. Like you're just asking me to spend 15 to 20 hours of my time or whatever watching the show that may or may not be good, but maybe it's just the latest thing that you had nothing else to watch. Yeah. So you watched this and it was moderately you, you entertaining. Know how far my backlog of anime by itself is. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I've got so much other stuff. And then, and then, um, like I said, I, if I am just going to watch something random, I mean, it's going to be something that has more of a purpose. Yeah. Um, and especially, like I said, it, a lot of it has to do with just the amount of time that, that I have. Is like I don't have, you know, hours and hours a day to dedicate towards consuming content. So that means I have to be more picky with the stuff that I do choose to consume. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think that's another reason why we're kind of harsh on a lot of that stuff is just because, like, I've, I, 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 I need it to be good. <laughs> I need it to entertain me for that amount of time because I really, I really want to enjoy the content. And if I'm not, then... I want to talk about it and I want people to improve it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Disney and stuff and, and DC are not listening to this, but you know, if, if you voice your opinions and you agree with any of the things that we say, I mean, you know, there's a chance that, uh, that other people can hear it. And then that multiplies and other people hearing it because those people talk about it. Yeah. And I, I guess, um, like to, to your point of us being maybe a little overly critical on some things, cause I've seen some backlash about that. Uh, not, not us particularly, but where people are, are saying, well, you guys are just, you, you take stuff too seriously or it, you know, whatever. And, and, I, and I'm, I, I think I stray more to the neutral side of most stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, I enjoyed it, whatever. It's fine. Um, but I will say that I think it, like Chris is saying, like, don't necessarily settle. Um, yeah. Like, that's that's what I don't want to happen is like, oh, well, they made a new TV show. It's the only thing I got. So, and it was all right. So, I guess I'll tell everybody it was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, really. You, it's okay to say something that's not good. And this is yeah. the other thing is, like, I feel like a lot of people, this, this uh, Bird Box is a great example. We talked about that last week. But I bet a lot of people watch that because somebody's posted on Facebook about it. They saw the post. Then they saw everybody else's post and they're like, mm-hmm. I gotta go watch this movie. And they're like, and everybody likes it. So I need to like it. Right. And I'm gonna make a post to be just like, so I can fit in with everybody else and talk about how cool Bird Box was. Yeah. And then, but like when you actually <laughs> sit down and watch it and pay attention to it and like actually have some kind of critical eye about it, it sucks. Yeah. And and here here's my thing. When I say something is bad, I don't necessarily mean it's a zero out of ten. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like sure. when I say something is bad, that means that somebody set the standard at five and it's below that. Yeah, you know well, what I mean I mean like McDonald's is bad food. Right. Does I mean, but that doesn't mean that I don't eat McDonald's and enjoy it sometimes. Right. I mean that's the bottom line, right? Especially if you like McDonald's Coke, man. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's my point, though, right? Yeah. Is There is a time and place for everything. And it's not like, this is terrible. You should never watch it. It's awful. Mm-hmm. I hated it. That's. I mean, it's never like that. But it's like, if we have to give something an objective rating, yeah, there has to be a standard. And, and if everything is good, then there, that's not a viable standard. Right. Then everything's boring if everything's right. good. Yeah. Because there is no variation standing out. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, I think that's, you know, a good point to clarify, but I also, you know, don't be afraid to, to go against the grain sometimes. 
Um, you know, if your opinion's not the popular one about a certain book or movie or TV show um, or video game or whatever, like, I think the more transparent we can be, I w- the better um, for everybody. The, th- the thing that goes with that, though, is don't also attack people for their opinions on something. It's right. fine to discuss people like, hey, I think you're wrong because this, this and this. But a lot of times, especially when you're behind a keyboard, I find that it goes further than that. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, and that's not constructive. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, maybe we need to be a little more critical of the stuff that is getting put out and not just consuming it because it's the only thing put in front of us to consume. Right. Because there are other plenty of other go uh, seriously, go look on YouTube for something you're interested in. I guarantee you can find somebody that produces content about that thing. Um, if you've got some hobby, whether it's playing magic or playing a video game or whatever, I mean, go watch some streamer. Yeah. It plays the game that you play. And if you can't find that content, maybe you should create it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't mean that like in, in like a negative way. I mean, it's I a positive honestly thing. mean I that wish like... I could find something that I really enjoyed. And that it, nobody and else and, is and doing. I, and I've looked <laughs> into it and I'm like, there's nobody that's fucking done this. Right. Like, I wish that I could find that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I would love to have the ability to make content for a living and, and to, to have people enjoy that. So, um... But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great point. You know, don't be afraid to go out there and make content if you see a hole. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, so we, we talked a little bit about Dragon Ball and, and our favorite Dragon Ball stuff. Um, it's one of the other things we kind of touched on a few weeks ago. We talked about it before Christmas, um, but we, we got a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Um, so we got that around Chris, at Christmas, I guess. Um, we've been kind of messing around with that. Um, we spent eight hours uh, the weekend before New Year's, uh, at least eight hours, eight to ten hours probably, yeah. <laughs> unlocking all of the characters on Super Smash Brothers, which there are a shitload of them. God, um, was it 72? Was it 72 73, characters? 73, something, yeah, like, something that. like that. 75, I don't know, somewhere in that ballpark. But You start with like eight. <laughs> yeah. So it, it took some time, um, but we made we made we managed to do it. Um, but in general, I, I did want to just say that I've been very impressed with the Switch. Yeah. Um, I, think that, uh, I think the Switch, if I were only going to pick one console. Oh, they nailed it. I think it's the Switch. They nailed um, it. And it's interesting because generally, like, I love first-person shooters and, and stuff like that. But, like you said, I mean, it's just, if if we're being objective here, it's better to just play those on the PC. So, if yeah, you're, <laughs> it is. if those I mean, are the games that you care about, like, I don't think you're going to... You're going to want the Switch. You're going to want a PC. But if you want games um, that you can play with friends and not rage out about... Well, you might rage a little bit over uh, <laughs> Smash, Smash. Bros. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, New Year's Day... I'm sorry, New Year's Eve, you know, we had a big party at my house. And, uh, you know, a lot of people showed up and you know pretty much everybody played some smash brothers and i think everybody had a good time um you know there's a lot of i mean they have you mario would, party let, let's, <laughs> let's realize you would that would not have happened with any other console no like no. zero of them and, i don't care there is no playstation game or xbox game that would have brought the people together to do something that everybody enjoys even yeah. people that don't normally play video games right like hand them a little controller and saying yeah, go be uh, Mario and and punch Kirby. Mm-hmm. Like, just not going to happen. Like, you know, yeah, maybe there's some first person shooter, but that only appeals to a very small genre of people. I mean, right. I mean, even hell, and if it's not Super Smash Bros., it's Mario Kart or Mario Party. Like, there are so many games that can be enjoyed by a lot of people. Um, you know, that just don't exist. That don't appeal to such a variety, like a wide audience. Yeah. Um, as Switch and Nintendo games do on any other console. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you got Super Mario Odyssey. I mean, you got the this new Super Mario. I, I don't think it's like technically new because I think it came out on the, the Wii U, the Wii U first. That. But it's like some Super Mario World game that's similar to the Super the old Super Nintendo uh, Mario. And like, you know, you pass the pass the sticks on that game. You know, people. You know, one of the most fun nights that I've had was uh, playing Mario Three until like four o'clock in the morning with a couple friends you know yeah. we're just trying to beat this dang game that we you know we used to slaughter when we and, were and kids you would never do that like <laughs> here's the other thing about that is that game is so i don't i don't know how to put it like there's you don't you don't feel like you own any of it so like when i when i play a shooter or like a first person game or sorry let me start over a single person game mm-hmm. um that has this really intricate story and i'm I'm making decisions on what items I have and what armor I have and maybe even what decisions my character makes through the game or yeah. what class I am. No, you're not how I allocate stati- like stat points. That's not something I'm willing to be like, here, you try. Mm. Nope. But you know what? If we're just trying to jump on some damn toads or whatever they are right. and, and make it through a level that has, and it doesn't matter who does it, like I'm 100% happy just like, you know, it's your turn. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense because I am not attached to the progress. I'm not attached to the character. Right. It's just we're trying to get through something and do something yeah. to pass the time. And discover and have some, what the next level is. Yeah, and have is some and, fun, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's all that really matters. So I, I think that's a really good point, too, is that even the single-player games have more multiplayer, mm. you know, um, possibility. Um, and I mean, you know, I mean, most games on Xbox and uh, PlayStation that are multiplayer are usually like two players. Yeah. Um, there's a couple that are four players, which, you know, I guess like first person shooters, sometimes you can divide the screen up into four. Um, but the switch can go to eight players, man. Yeah. Eight freaking players. Like super smash brothers with eight players is crazy. Yeah. But it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and you know, a lot of those games, like first person shooters and stuff like that. Like if you, if it's just you and your buddy, you can't turn on AI to play, you know, the other ones. Which right. Some of the older ones, like, you could. Like, Unreal used to be able to turn on AI and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but a lot of times they're bad, too, right? right. Like, or they're just cheesy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, you know, um, you can play, like, Dota 2. Like, me and you could go play Dota 2 together right. with some AI enemies and AI teammates. But it's like the, the scaling is weird. Yeah. Like, like if you put the AI on, real, AI on real low levels, they're just dumb. Yeah. And you put them on real high levels, and then all of a sudden they're doing superhuman shit. And yeah. it's like, all right. But the AI on Smash, I mean, like, granted, we're not, we're not good. No, so it's I'm like, don't, not good. <laughs> we're not talking, like, if you're good at Smash, you're probably just laughing at us because you're like, oh, they're playing against level 9 AI. But, like, it's good enough for, like, our level and the people that come and play with us that, like, the level 9 AI is going to give us a challenge. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I think that and, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, it, you're right. And, I mean, so in general, um, you know, it, are the graphics the best? No. But they are cert- they certainly look good. Like they that's meet, what I'll they say. They meet the aesthetic that Nintendo wants. Sure, it's and cartoony, it's fun, yeah. it's vibrant. I mean, it, it's, it's all of those things. It's not um, glitchy. No, it, yeah, it's not glitchy at all. I mean, I will say, um, and I mentioned this Breath to of you, the Wild. was Breath of the Wild did have some frame drop, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I might have talked about that the last time we talked about the Switch, um, which. I get it. I mean, it's a big open world game. It, the, the console doesn't have a ton of power behind it, so yeah. it's not like... I mean, you you're know, basically playing a mobile platform. Yeah. Really, you are. Um, 
So, you know, that's a little frustrating, I guess, but it doesn't look awful, I guess. And, and let's be real, those frame drops are happening in other console games. Mm-hmm. It's not like the top-of-the-line PlayStation 4 game is running buttery smooth. I guarantee it you still it's looks, frame I mean, drops. it still looks pretty good for what yeah. it is. Well, I that's, mean, that's my point. Is yeah. it's, it's really not falling behind the standard set forth by other consoles, especially at the price point. Um, you know, it, it is, I mean, it was 300 bucks, which is not bad, considering it comes with a screen. Yeah. It comes with, like... you like can, you can you play can, it out of the box. You don't need a TV or anything. Like, nope. You're ready to go. Yep. Take it wherever you want. You know, that's another thing that people are... It blows my mind that people, like, overlook this fact. Like, that's $300. I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, you can take it wherever the fuck you want. Yeah. Like, but have fun playing your PlayStation on the train. <laughs> yeah, but those, Switch, those consoles just keep getting bigger and that's heavier, That's what I'm man. saying. <laughs> but, like, you know, the Switch, it literally... The case that we have, I mean, it will fit in any backpack or any purse, pretty mm-hmm. much. A reasonable size purse. I mean, hell, you could just carry it under. You know, you wouldn't even look that out of place just carrying the case. Yeah, and can't you um, play it with the screen with like the pro controller? If, if you yeah, absolutely. The pro I mean, that's pretty cool. Like, it you know, you and me yeah. are on a like you said, like on a on a plane or something yeah. like that. We, we could, could just pop that sucker out. We could you know, strap it to the seats in front of us somehow yeah. and and play Smash Brothers on a plane. Yeah. I mean, that just sounds 100%. awesome. I mean, one of the reasons that I wanted it was because a lot of, you know, it'll be fun. Like, if we go to dinner or Cassie and I go to dinner or whatever, we can literally take the Switch, set that bitch on the table, and play video games. Right. Yeah. Um, which you, you just can't do with any of the other consoles that exist. Um, and so, for me, I, I just think people overlook that when they're talking about the price point. And, oh, it's just not as powerful. It doesn't do all these things. I'm like, yeah, but it does do a lot of things, a lot of things very well mm-hmm. that other consoles don't even attempt to I mean, to just do. think of how, I mean, how much is a DS? 150 bucks? Uh, the, yeah, I mean, the, I bought one used for that. Okay, the so three, 200, the, so about 200 bucks? Yeah, the 3DS XL is about that. Yeah, so... I mean, for a hundred bucks more, you get you're getting a full console. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive, man. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, they, they, I think they hit they hit it out of the park with this one. I have zero complaints. Um, at, my only complaint is the ergonomics of the controllers, but I like Xbox controllers. Those are pretty similar, I think. They're the they're close. They're close. They're, they're not, better than the PlayStation. They controller. are better than PlayStation controllers, but I don't like the ergonomics of PlayStation controllers. Well, my point so. though being is is that's a that's a different strokes for different folks yeah. kind of thing. And and, and you and, did get the Pro controllers. The Pro controllers are better than the, the Joy-Cons. But if you play the Joy, like I. I don't know that I could play any of those. No, games it's one of the reasons that, I that bought the, those, those pro controllers. I mean, the other option was to get a bunch of GameCube controllers, which mm-hmm. aren't supported in every game. Yeah. Neither are the pro controllers, actually. Like, let's go Pikachu. You can't use those pro oh, controllers. Yep, Cassidy has. Is to it because you have to have the you have to have the touch screen or no? You, you just you have to use the Joy Cons. You can use them disconnected oh, okay. from the console, but um, I mean, like, and she can play Let's Go Pikachu. On the screen, she just okay. has to have the controller. I just didn't know if it was like on the DS where sometimes you have to interact I, I, with no, the, the second screen. No, I don't know what the specific reason is, but there okay. are certain games where certain controllers aren't supported. So. Yeah, cause I play. I remember playing uh, on the Wii U, um, like Mario Maker. Yeah, um, and they would like you could do stuff on the on little the screen, screen um, and then it would affect you know what's going on on the TV and stuff. That's a game that. I haven't seen coming out on the Switch, but I really hope that they bring to the Switch. Is it pretty good? Have you have you ever played? No, I, I, I or do you know anything about it? No. So Mario Maker is literally that. Like you make Mario levels. Oh, cool! And um, you can make them 
for like any type of Mario. So there's like Mario one levels that you can make. So all the sprites are eight bit and everything. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and then you can do like Super Mario World, and then you can do like some of the newer stuff, and uh, you can play other people's. Um, so the way that like if you want to play like I wouldn't call it a story mode, but like a challenge mode or something like that, you um, it just puts like fifty random stages in a row. And huh. you just play other people's stages. Um, so you're getting like this huge variety of stages. Yeah. Um, and if you like a stage, you can save it. So you can go and play, play it, again it again later. Um, and people are crazy creative. Oh, I'm this. sure, man. Like, Honestly, that's what I don't know that I like it because I, I don't know that I like like um, that kind of variety. Like, I don't like the idea that somebody's making a level that is like potentially ridiculously difficult for well, no you reason. Can, you can. Um, set that level like if i if i'm remembering correctly like you can choose what level of level that you're going to play against and i think that they determine that by like how frequently people die <laughs> while playing that level right um and there are no, they you can't make an impossible level uh well i take that back there there are ways to make an impossible level but it's not like um it, it it's because you don't know what you're doing in the level not because it's impossible to beat Right, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, one hundred percent. Because in order to publish a level, you have to you have to show that you can beat the level. Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I love like Super Mario World is my absolute favorite. So I love playing those levels the most. But it's just, I, you know, the fact that you can make your own levels. Like, you know, you play somebody else's level, and you're like, man, that's really cool. But what if but they did I this? Think, yeah. yeah. What if I they did this, and then you add like this whole other thing? That was one thing I loved about Starcraft One. Um, doing custom games it's like i would play somebody's custom game and i'm like this is really cool but what if i made these <laughs> changes to it and then like you just post it and then people are like oh i like you know i like this version yeah. of it or whatever um but yeah i really hope that they come out with that because i would love to play that again um i'm sure they will man i don't think there's going to be I, they're going to dump a ton into this console because it's done so well mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to do well there yeah. isn't a doubt in my mind um you know, like you said, I mean, you know, as much as we, we've talked about it before, and I don't mean to beat it at horse, but, I mean, if you're trying to play technically impressive games or games that are, require Twitch skills, I mean, it's just better suited for a PC. Right. Um, I know the price tag sucks, but I guarantee you, you buy one now, it lasts for, I mean, five to seven years, probably. I mean, let's be real. Everybody listening to this has a PC. Yeah. You they just, might not have a gaming PC. No. Well, you have a laptop right. that was five to $800. Yeah. Guarantee it. Yeah. What happens if you spend that five and eight, five to eight hundred dollars building a computer? Plus, does, does plus, it go anywhere? Plus the four hundred dollars you spent on your console. Yeah. So now right. you got a really nice one. Twelve hundred bucks to get you a really nice piece. Oh, I mean that's probably close to the top of the line. Yeah. I mean the other thing to consider, and I know people are always make the argument, well, my laptop, I can take it places. But but do you though? Like most people that have a laptop, like sit on the couch with it or something. Mm-hmm. Like which, if you're really going to do dedicated computer things, sitting at a desk is no worse. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to do things that you could also be doing on your phone, you'll just do them on your phone. Mm-hmm. Or a tablet is just better. You know? <laughs> like That's what I'm saying. There are other options, I guess, yeah. is my point. And, and I think the functionality of a laptop, unless you're traveling a lot and you're taking it with you, which they do sell gaming laptops also. Yeah. Honestly, they are a little bit more expensive, but they're so much cheaper than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, really, you can get a good one. I mean, if you had 1200 bucks to spend, you'd be doing pretty good. Yeah. 
You'd be I mean, like they, a 1070 graphics card and an i7 processor with a solid state drive. I mean, it'd be nice. Yeah, like screen. 10 years ago, if somebody said gaming laptop, like you'd probably laugh at them because you're talking about twice the price yeah. of a, of an equivalent. But nowadays, Maybe I mean... Maybe 25% more. Yeah. I mean, something like that, 25 30 I mean, that's pretty... I mean, that's pretty reasonable. Like you said, I mean, for... You can find a way to build a PC on a budget for like 800 bucks, and I bet you it would do everything that you probably wanted it to do. You might yeah. not be able to have max graphics on the craziest games, but it's still going to look better. To be honest, that's such a that's such a moving target anyways. Like, right. Um, you know, people always, you know, when you're building your PC, um, it's really hard to go into it and spend money on something that isn't optimal. But the problem with it is, as soon as you spend that money, like it's, I guarantee you, there's going to be another game or like basically every year they're releasing some new architecture for video cards and processors that pushes the envelope a little bit further. Um, and because of that, you know, your stuff is really at best only destined to be the best for a year at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is, it's not, you don't lose a whole lot. Like, um, the, when I first built my computer, I built it in 2012. I didn't rebuild it until last year. And it was, I mean, my processor was probably fine for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. I could have just upgraded the graphics card and, and honestly probably made it another five years. Right. Um, but realistically, so for six years, you know, I, I, I was. That seems to be about my life cycle with a computer is about six years. Yes. Yeah, which is pretty average. I mean, yeah. that's about, I mean, I would say your consoles last three to five. I mean, most of the time they're coming out with a new one mm-hmm. pretty frequently now. It's not like, you know, obviously the PlayStation 2 stuck around for a while. Um, but outside of that, I mean, most in the Xbox 360 stuck around for a while. But. I mean, now we're already talking about. I've already people are already talking about the the new generation of those. Yeah. Um. So it's not going to be long. Those development cycles are going to be getting shorter and shorter. Um. And honestly, just because they know that they can come out with a PlayStation Five or whatever the hell it is, and people are going to buy it. Right. Let's well, be plus, real. Plus, um, you know, technology advances so fast. It that, does. Yeah. That for them to keep up with PC. Yeah. Which let's 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 make something clear that you know we've talked about modular builds before potentially in consoles, but or in a PC even. But yeah, I mean, we won't, we won't go then. Yeah, we won't. Hole again. We, we won't. But at the same time, I mean, you know, my my computer's a little different because it's water cooled. Um, so I would have to find a graphics card that has a water cooling plate on it, and I would have to swap those lines and stuff. And it's not that hard, assuming you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But it is more work. But for someone that has a like your computer, just a typical air cooled computer, I mean, changing that graphics card would literally take me less than ten minutes. Right. Yeah. Changing the processor would probably take a little longer, um, depending on if you have to switch your motherboard. Because t- sometimes with a new processor, you have to also change the motherboard. Most of the time, usually, actually, mm-hmm. if it's a big performance increase. But like I said before, your processor is probably going to last a lot longer for gaming purposes than than anything else. So because processor, your games really typically aren't very processor intensive. Right. I mean, if you buy a really good processor to start with, that's the only thing that I would really recommend. If you're going to skimp somewhere, I don't know. It depends. If you plan on rebuilding the computer, like in the then in, in the near t- near future. 
I would maybe spend a little more money or spend a, maybe spend a little less money on the processor, I guess, because you can redo that. Yeah. Um, but if you're like, nope, I, you know, I need most of this computer to stick around and I need it to, to have it for a while. If you're going to cut corners, I'd honestly cut the corners on the graphics card. Yeah. Be- because and- they get cheaper real fast. So that's the other thing, right? Is, you know, while well, cryptocurrency messed us all up. But processors, guess what? The i7s, even the older ones, are still 300 bucks. Yeah. So, like, just spend that 300 bucks now. Well, I mean, the other thing is is that, you know, if you want to use your PC for other things... The processor's more important, You need important, that right. processor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? you know, your video card might help in some video editing, but if you're doing any kind of encoding um, or, or any kind of, like, big... Photoshop. You know, Photoshop. I mean, a lot of that's going to be RAM Graphic and processor. Design, any, yeah, yeah, any kind of graphics. RAM design, and processor intensive. Like so... Um, but on top of that, like I said, the, the processing price does not really drop that much. You're not going to see, you know, this i7 8700K. It's not going to be 200 bucks anytime mm. soon. It's just not. But a graphics card will drop half the price a year exactly. later. Exactly. So if you're, that's what I'm saying. If you got to budget something, get like the 70 or 80 percent graphics card. Yeah. You'll save 200 bucks, 300 bucks, and then when you can save some more cash or when they announce a new model and the prices on the top of the line one of your series plummets buy one because i guarantee you like so the you know the 1080 is or i have a 1080 but the top of the line one i guess would be a 1080 ti but we'll just assume a 1080 because that's the reasonably priced top of the line one. right um from a 1080 to a 280 a 2080 i mean there's not that crazy of a performance difference mm-hmm. we're not talking i mean for several hundred dollars more we're talking like less than 10 percent improvement right. it's just not worth it. it the 1080 will do whatever you want it to do within reason you know, I mean, the 1070 would probably do everything you that's, want that's, to do. And that's my point, <laughs> so right? You, like, could, you could get away with a 1060. Yeah. Like, realistically, you know, yeah, you might have to drop your settings a little bit. But if you're trying to just get in at a budget, you know, point, um, I would for sure go with a better processor and a cheaper graphics card and then wait for those graphics cards to go on sale or for there to be some new one coming out and the prices mm-hmm. drop because it will happen. It always happens. Yeah. Um, and, and the processors, I guarantee you, Will not. Um, every every time, I, hell, I sold my thirty. So when I built my computer in two thousand twelve, I used an i seven thirty seven seventy k. The actually when I built it, the forty seven seventy k came out. So that was a generation old processor when I built it. Yeah, it still lasted me six years. Did fine. Was still doing fine at over five gigahertz when I sold it. Right. And I sold it for like two hundred bucks. I mean, that's pretty. That's I spent a hundred dollars to use that processor <laughs> for six years. Yeah. So my point being is, they have really good, like they have staying power. You're not gonna, it's, you're a, you're not gonna, dep- it's not gonna depreciate for one if that's important. But also, you're not gonna ever like wait around and get that sale on a processor. Yeah. Plus, like I said, you also have to typically change the motherboard, which is another expense. So you don't want to be like, oh, I want to upgrade my processor, but I can't. Because I bought this cheaper processor, which means I bought this different motherboard. And if I want to change the processor now, I also got to change the motherboard. Mm-hmm. You could potentially have to change the RAM, which, I mean, maybe if you're using DDR3, that's probably not the case now. But my point being is that's, that cost stacks. So I would for sure bulletproof the things that are going to be more difficult and more expensive to change and then fluctuate on the graphics card. I know everybody's like, you get your biggest bang for your buck performance-wise in a graphics card, which is true, but that lacks any kind of long-term vision with the computer. Like, it's, you know, if you cheap out on the processor, motherboard, and RAM and stuff like that, like, it's going to be pretty much dead weight if you want to go further. Mm -hmm. You pretty much are going to have to be like, well, I got to start from scratch again, which means you're spending money you already spent. So I just think it's smarter to just get an entry level. Like I said, get a 1060 if you have to. And then wait till a 1080 go or 1070 is 200 bucks off because it'll happen. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it happens all the time, like you said. <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess to get back to the main point, you know, it's not that it, re- unreasonably expensive to get into a PC. And I guarantee you, if you really want the best quality gaming experience for, for technical games, for technically uh, t- technical meaning like skill-based games, um, for a better experience te- in technically stressful games, we're talking visually and, and all that kind of stuff, it's just going to be better. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but the Switch to me is a perfect complement to a PC because it, it allows all the things that the PC lacks. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's that's where I think it's it's such a great combination because for three hundred bucks, I filled in all those gaps. Yeah, I mean, one thing I was just going to mention real quick before we go back to the Switch is one thing that a lot of people just don't think about. Also, is that how much better a monitor is than a than a TV. Oh, it's not. I don't want to bring that up because people are going to argue with me. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, latency is insane, yeah. right? Um, there is a difference. Uh, we're talking refresh rates. So the refresh rates on any TV, you know, so it's 240 hertz. It's artificially 240 hertz. Right. What's happening is your TV is running at, let's say, 60 hertz at its natural state. Mm-hmm. And then... You're artificially injecting frames um, in between those frames to to smooth it out. To to try and, right, and that does not work. Mm -hmm. Um, It works, quote unquote, but it's noticeable. I don't like it. Um, And it's very, it's, it's obvious and it doesn't look good and it certainly does not work in games. But to be honest, it doesn't matter because none of your consoles are running at 60 frames a second constant yeah they're just not mm-hmm. are there times when your quote-unquote 4k games are running at 60 frames a second yeah maybe but like, i mean the other thing is like most people i mean most people don't even know like how many hertz that their tv no, runs at they just no. buy whichever tv is the best like, price is the best price the best size and for and the size 4K. that they want and and it meets like these little yeah. specific standards and then your gaming experience is not as good no and um actually that's why um i when i bought tvs i've bought then i'm gonna play games on i'll buy them plasmas if i can is they, they still sell plasma it's harder to get a hold of them but they do um and uh the the I think plasmas refresh at like six hundred hertz naturally, so that's a non issue. Yeah. Um, there are some other issues like screen burning and things like that, but mm-hmm. I mean it's it's they've mitigated that issue. It's not like they were when they first came out, where like you leave CNN on CNN on for a day and then the next day the news tickers burned on the bottom of your screen. Right. I yeah. mean, they, they do some trickery, basically moving micro shifting pixels mm-hmm. that makes makes it work. But um, but I mean the other thing that I will say. Is that like if none of this stuff matters to you, then it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, like we both think that PCs are better, but if all of the the things that we're telling you make you think that PCs are like you just don't care about any of them, and that's why you like a console, that's fine. Like I can understand that. Like if you don't care about what any of this other stuff is, and you just want something that you can plug in and and play some games with, I understand why you think that and, a console and, is superior. And so then, in that situation, is what I'm saying is get a switch. Yeah, that, I mean, like it's if, none, cheaper. If, if, none, <laughs> if none of those things matter to you, and, and you just want to play some games, then the best choice is a switch. Yeah. Um, I guess our point in this discussion was if you're going to buy a console to play, like it depends on what you want. If none of those things matter to you, then the switch should fulfill all your needs and wanting to play games and it should do it better. Especially, I mean, you know, my biggest thing is that I like, I don't like playing games by myself anymore. So like, the Switch is like one of the. I mean, it's probably the best console to play with friends. I mean, it's just for sure. It's all the games are easy to pick up. There's yep. not like this huge Learning ceiling. Curve, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, 
Smash Brothers has a learning curve, but but I promise you that if, if you, you play with eight people, the same person is not going to win every time, unless they're just a freaking pro at that game. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, um, and and the other part is it's not. I mean, the learning curve is not that steep, and and I don't know. Usually, they're more friendly games. I don't know. It, it's just a different feeling to me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I mean, really, I guess the best thing for me is it filled all the gaps that I wanted in gaming, right? So, like I said, I'm 100% PC when it comes to playing the best of the best, or I'm going to play some game that's competitive, like actually competitive, or whatever. Not that Smash Brothers isn't competitive, but I'll never play it competitively, probably, right? Um, So, for me, what I lacked and what the PC lacked was the ability to sit on the couch with, with people and play a game was the ability to take those fun games with me wherever I went. Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, there, there's a whole rabbit we prob- hole. We probably should have talked about this before Christmas. But, Maybe. I mean, I know we didn't have it before Christmas, yeah. but it's still like... <laughs> yeah, it's, it probably would have been more relevant. But now this is kind of just an after-action yeah. review and, and where I find that it fits and it, and it succeeds. I mean, because honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't too sold. I mean, I was not impressed with the Wii at all. Yeah. Um, I just I never bought and they weren't expensive really but um, I never bought one because I didn't, the graphics looked like absolute shit which mm-hmm. was my thing is like why would I buy this I don't like this whole motion control shit yeah I don't I don't want to move around to play a video game yep you know I want it to look good it didn't look good I mean there were so many things wrong with it that I'm like why would I buy this and they've definitely corrected that with the switch um so so for me I mean it, it's a 100 percent win um and and I don't want to you know go down this whole PC versus console thing again because we've done that before um, and to me it, you know it's just a you're, you're trying to argue with somebody that doesn't want their mind changed and a lot of times because they've invested into something and they don't you know it's the sunken cost fallacy right like yeah. well I already bought all this shit it must be the best well yep. that's not how that works <laughs> um, unfortunately uh, especially when we have something called science that just proves you wrong so um, you know N- numbers don't lie <laughs> they, they just don't um <laughs> And uh, that's that's about all it is, really. Um, you know, I, all I'll say, I guess, to end it up is this. Um, the best, if we talk about the best video gamers ever, um, they all are on the PC. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't see, like, the World Series of Gaming. And they're playing Xbox. And they're playing Xbox. <laughs> and but, I guarantee you. But you do see some of them playing on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like Smash Brothers and stuff like yeah. that, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, yeah, those games, like those tournaments exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's some high-level Xbox, yeah, Halo yeah. tournament, right? I mean, there's some games that are exclusive. And yeah, you can, and that's... You can, right. But, but at the end of the day, and I really wish they would do this at some point, I really want to put some game where it's it's on it's been on both PC and Xbox or PlayStation for a decent amount of time so people can adjust and they know the game right I don't want to take something where it's like, oh, well, Xbox players never played Counter-Strike. Mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. It's not a fair playing field. But maybe they both played Battlefield 4 for three years. Well, they brought Halo to the PC. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It just needs to be some game that's been on both platforms for long enough that both that the players have played it and are comfortable with it and they're not learning the maps for the first time or whatever. And, I want to, and I'd really like to see, we'll give the Xbox person an Xbox controller and we'll give the PlayStation or the PC person a PC controller or a keyboard and mouse and just let them play. The best people in the world. And I guarantee you the best PC player in the world shits all over the best 
console player in the world. Yeah. It's not even you can be, just be so much more specific. I mean, you can set your. I mean, most most gaming mouses now you can set the DPI like, to like, exactly what you want and exactly what you need. You. I mean, you can you can enhance the throttle a little bit on a on like the controllers on an Xbox. Yeah, but then you really start losing your precision. Yep. So I mean, I mean that's not even. It's, I mean. I'm just my point is people are saying that it, you know I've heard people argue that the people that are playing it at the professional level are just as good and it's like yeah, that's not the case guarantee yeah. you put them one on one they're you're just gonna lose yeah and then you can't argue if we, if we take the best in both categories console console players and PC players and the PC player would win I guarantee it I'll put money on it then you can't argue that it's not a better platform to do those things mm-hmm. if you want you know what I'm saying if if we're saying the two players are equally skilled. Then we get the best of the best versus the best of the best. And the only thing holding one guy back is his what he's playing it on and his input method and stuff like that. Then, right. then it's it's obvious, right? Um like Tiger Woods wouldn't play with the golf clubs that he plays with if they weren't the, the best, best for him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so and, and yeah, <laughs> what I what I would really uh think is interesting, um you mentioned like setting the DPI and stuff like that, but I mean if some of you guys don't believe me, maybe you just haven't seen much PC gaming and stuff. Just just YouTube best professional Counter Strike op AWP. It's a, a specific gun. It's a sniper rifle in that game. You will see people do things that you will never see anybody in a console do. Oh, and by the way, there's no fucking auto aim. Yeah. So you see people no scoping and. 360s, whatever bullshit, and but there's auto aim. Mm-hmm. You get it within a certain percentage of their head, and the fucking game puts your cursor on their head. Yeah, that's how that works. You can't argue <laughs> with me. It is a fact. So you have people doing crazier stuff than that. I'm, I'm telling you, it'll happen. You, somebody will pop around a corner and pull up the scope and shoot somebody in the head and pull out of the scope so fast that you didn't even see him see him do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching some of the Counter Strike <laughs> stuff, like it's it's interesting, but I can't even watch it because it's it's like, so fast that you don't even know what's happening. Like, I'm just I'm just bored because I have no idea what's going on. But like, I mean, those guys are enjoying that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm well, so I mean, like, like I said, it, it, a lot of it you don't know what's going on because there's no you don't even have enough time to process what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see some amazing counter quote unquote amazing Counter Strike play, and it's not going to be some like flashy thing. It's going to be like dude comes around a corner there's a guy on the other side of the map before any like before you can even realize that there's a person there dude puts his cursor on his head pulls the trigger one time and the guy dies. Yeah. Like but it's it's so fast that it's not interesting to watch. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like you there's some firefight and there's all this crazy stuff happening and it's like just madness that someone is able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I mean but that that might be one argument for for consoles there is that the audience I mean, maybe not consoles, but just games that are not Counter Strike. Well, Counter Strike's very specific, yeah. right? I mean, so, you know, it, it's like watching um, a very high level Magic game. Mm-hmm. To a lot of people, that's probably not fun, right? Or like chess or something. Yeah, like I mean, that, it's, where it's a, like it's all about it's super it's 100% technical. About skill. Yeah, it's super technical. It's super about you know high skill level plays. The things that are happening are impressive to the people that are engulfed in that culture. Mm-hmm. But they're not impressive to anybody that's watching from the outside. I mean, think about how boring. I remember how boring it was to watch golf before I'd ever played golf. Yeah. And then you go play golf one time. You're like, holy shit, these guys can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go. You like. You go hit a ball. You know, 150 yards, and this guy's hitting it. You know, what 375? Or, yeah. Know, and it's, it's like- straight where he wants it to be. I mean, you know, like I said, it, that's that's really the best analogy for me. Is a lot of this stuff isn't impressive, but then like. 
you don't have, you've not done it and tried to do it. Mm -hmm. So you can't understand like how complex what they're doing is. Right. Um, And so to me, that's one of the things that I find so impressive is that there is such a high ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, you know, I mean, we're both pretty competitive guys, period. But I think that's what makes um, competition so interesting is that, you know, you find when you start competing, you find a, a new appreciation for everything in, in, in the thing. Because you like it's not just about it being the best, but it's the best for a reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, with within magic cards, you know, you talk about like this is the best card in in, you know, whatever format or whatever. It's not just be, it's not just the best card because it does the most powerful thing it's the best card because it gets you towards your goal sure better than any other but at card. face value it doesn't make sense so and, and when we and actually kind of it's kind of funny because i've been trying to reflect a lot on um on how i've grown as a player since i started and some of the things that like like we're talking about like i didn't understand like i could not wrap my head around why something like Ponder or Brainstorm would be a good card mm-hmm. or such. I mean, I get it. It's like, yeah, I get to draw some cards. Neat. Yeah. Um, but understanding really how that impacts the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I think the other day I mentioned to you, the big one was Shocks and Fetches. So um, if you guys aren't familiar with Magic, there are some cards that are lands. Now, a normal land, you just play it. You can tap it immediately for mana. It's the a, basi- a basic land. Basic land, yep. Um, and, and so there are something called fetch, a fetch land and a shock land. A shock land means that it, it's, it taps for two colors, which that makes sense, right? You're like, all right, I get to, not, I'm not nailed down to using one type of mana mm-hmm. with this card. But in order for it to come into play untapped, which means you, you if you, normally you just play it, you can't use it when you play it. Mm-hmm. It's tapped. Yep. You have to wait a turn to be able to use it. To be able to use it immediately, you have to pay two life. Yep. Um, and then with a with a fetch, it is a card that you play, it, and it actually doesn't tap for mana. Um, what it does, though, is when you tap it, you can pay a life, you can sacrifice it, and go find one of two colors of mana. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so at face value, as a new player, I'm looking at this thinking, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I want to pay two life to be able to use this card immediately? Yeah, I get it's good that, that I get to choose from two colors, but that is it worth two life? I've only got so much life. The whole, the whole point, the way you win is to not have zero life right so anything i do to take away my life has got to be bad um and it is bad right i mean there is a it is a penalty mm-hmm. um and there are situations where that life loss can i mean you're you- losing five percent of your life in in commander you're five percent of your starting life yeah so i mean you know five percent i mean it's it's, it's not an it's not an insignificant no number. it's not and i mean there but are- it is it is part of playing the game is managing your life yep and your life is a resource in addition to mana. Like being, and it's a bigger resource than mana because you start with 40 instead of starting with one, you know, on turn one. Right. I mean, in, in, in the, in the, in the fetches, um, even are more complex, right? So, um, the idea is that, uh, you, A, get to choose between whatever color you need mm-hmm. or, or if you're willing to spend big money on dual lands, you get to get two two colors of mana um, yep. because there there are cards that tap for either color of mana that don't come into play untapped, but they're very expensive and they can be searched for with a fetch. So well, shock lands you can search for with a fetch too. Sure, anything yeah. right because it's it's just got to say swamp yeah. or forest or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but the point being is I was so against trying to do anything that would or I was not willing to 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 
pay a lot of money. I was like, why are these cards so expensive? Mm-hmm. Like, I get that they have some utility and, and that variation. Maybe you don't always have exactly the mana you need, so it's good to have a card that taps for two. Right. But at the expense of paying for, for paying for it with a life, that doesn't make sense. And why is this card forty dollars? Mm-hmm. When mostly these other cards, this big creature that's a seven seven with trample, you know, he's thirty cents. Yeah, and that guy looks like he's going to win you the game more yeah. than this land. <laughs> right, and and, and and technically he does. Right. Right. But you have to support that guy. You have, you have to, to get be him. able to cast him. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Is, is from This is my, my point, is it early in the game, it's not apparent. Like, you look at these high-level players, and you're like, I don't understand what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense. This is too complex. Right. I, I'm not interested. I just want to swing my big creature at somebody. Um, but... You know, the deeper you get into it, th- these things make more sense. Um, and so even, you know, it's kind of interesting. We were looking recently, and this is something I'm still trying to learn. I think I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of these things now, but I'm looking into a red deck for Legacy just mm-hmm. to play for fun. I'm, I'm still going to play another deck, mostly probably, but this one's cheap. Um, and I, I kind of like it. It sounds fun. Yeah. Um, it sounds simple. So... Uh, I, you know, and it's, it's one you could loan to a friend too, it's cheap, so yeah. they can beat you with it. Yeah, yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> um, yeah, the, it's funny. I was talking. The Chris is referencing. I was talking to a guy today about buying some of these cards for this deck, and he's like, "Yeah, I think I've actually got most of that deck. Uh, I took it apart because I kept loaning it out to people, and they kept beating me with it. <laughs> so it's just really funny. Um, but anyways, uh, this deck is only red. It's only red. So so the only mana you need to pay for is red. Mm-hmm. Um, which should mean it's cheap, right? Because most of your expense in a deck is going to come from the, the land cards. Yep. Um, you know, because they could range anywhere from, uh, you know, I guess the cheapest, you know, you talk a cheap shock, you're probably talking like 10 bucks. Right. Right. The average fetch is probably 25 or 30. Um, and then, you know, your dual lands could be 600. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, it, Anyways, your most expensive part is these dual lands, but since I don't need to tap for any other color but red, it should be cheap. I should just need basic mountains, which are basically free. Right. I mean, any local game store will just give them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- then then I'm starting to see deck lists that also have fetch lands in it. And I'm like, okay, why are these? There's only mountains in this deck. Why yeah. would I need to be able to search for a mountain Why am I going to pay that swamp? one life? To be able to yeah. do that. Or, or even just buy the card. Like, why yeah. would I spend $40 on, on well, really $160 mm-hmm. buying a full set of these fetch lands that I'm only, I'm never going to fetch for a swamp. Yeah. I'm only going to fetch for a mountain. Yep. But but when you think about the, the statistics of the deck, what happens is you play this card, it takes a card out of the deck. Yeah. So you just went from having, a, you know, we'll say at, you know, whatever point you're, you, We'll just go with 50. We'll say you have 50 cards in the deck to make it easy. Sure. So you fetch, and now you've just increased your odds of having a better card than a land by 2%. Because you don't want to draw. Like, you need enough land to do what you want to do, but that's it. Yeah. You do not want to be mana flooded. There's there's very few exceptions where having a bunch of mana is better than an action card. Yeah. Something that's going to progress the game. Which is part of the the, the balance, right, of that opening hand, is you want to find the one that gives you a good balance of mana to do what you want to be able to do. Mm Mm-hmm. But also stuff to be able to do. Right. If you don't have enough mana, you're not going to be able to do the stuff. If you don't have enough stuff, your mana is not going to do anything. Yep. Um, but yeah, so so like like the, the idea though is that so you play this fetch, even though you're playing a, a life to do it, you take not one card out of the deck, you take two cards out of the deck. 
Yeah. Because you get your fetch into the graveyard, right, mm-hmm. which came out of the deck, and then you go get a mountain and get that out of the deck. Right. Um, so so even though you've, you've only got, I think the list was 10 mountains and 9 fetches, so you really only have one, or, or I guess 10 mountains. That's... That's it. Those other cards don't really count. Right. Because they're going to go away. And the other thing that fetch lands do for you is they let you shuffle your deck. Um, Which, I mean, in a red deck is not a huge deal. But in some scenarios, there's ways to look at the top of your opponent's deck and make decisions based off of that. So, like, um, there's a card called... um, Jace the Mind Sculptors, which is one of the most powerful Planeswalkers ever made. But one of his abilities is to look at the top of target player's deck and you may put it on the bottom of the deck if you wish to. So yeah. if your opponent has that card and he leaves it on top, Probably you might card. be incentivized to go ahead and shuffle your deck before you draw that card. Um, another thing is like you're, you mentioned Brainstorm earlier. So what Brainstorm does is it allows you to draw three cards. So you have three new cards in your hand. But the caveat is you have to put two cards back. You don't have to put two of those cards back. You could just have to put two cards from your hand back onto the on the. So you could put cards that you already had in yeah. your hand so before you drew the three. If you've got five lands in your hand after you draw those three cards, you can put two of those lands back if you just don't need them, you know. And then you fetch. Now you've shuffled your deck, and now they're and not now the next top. card is likely not going to be the same two cards. You know, statistically right. speaking, you had you've gotten rid of the chance or you've reduced the chance of it being two lands, you know? So that is going to help you get to those action cards and win the game. Um, You know... I mean, it could also, you know... I mean, yeah, shuffling is a really interesting mechanic, right? Because it just seems like something you do as a result of something. Mm -hmm. But it 100% um, can be to use your benefit. Like you're saying, I can put some cards back on top of my deck. I don't like what they are. Shuffle, and now there are new cards there. Yeah. Yeah. or it could even be used to protect stuff, right? There are certain cards that allow you to put stuff on the top of your deck yep. that you want. And then there are other cards that your opponent could play that say, discard five cards from the top of your library. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Those good cards that you want that are right there right. are going to be now in your graveyard. Mm-hmm. But if you have a fetch, well, before you before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and play play this or pop this fetch. Now I'm going to grab a and land. Hope they're all lands that are yeah, and, and then I'm going to shuffle this. You know, I'm going to uh, grab this land, and then I'm going to shuffle my deck and get those good cards off the top of my deck. Hopefully, so that so that when I do discard, they're not the ones that I was waiting on. Right. Um, and to take it even to another level on how powerful a fetch land is and why they cost so much in Legacy, just because somebody plays a land, that doesn't mean that you know what they're playing. So you can next level somebody by playing... So you're playing a mono-red deck. You play a Scalding Tarn. So a Scalding Tarn is blue and red. So instantly, most people are going to think, if you have blue and red... You're playing Storm. You're playing... Well, not Storm, but you're just playing... Storm is black, right? Black and blue? Storm is black and red. Is it? Storm in Legacy. Legacy, okay. Storm in in Modern is blue and red. Okay, that's where I'm getting confused. Uh, So... If you play that Scalding Tarn, they are going to play differently because they're assuming that you have blue, which means that they're assuming you have counter magic, which means that they might not even have a turn one play because they want to make sure that you don't counter their spell. So one of the most common spells on turn one in the game, or yeah, turn one in the game is Daze. So what Daze says is that you either you can pay a blue and a white and make an opponent pay one or counter their spell or you can bring a a, a 
uh, an island back into your hand. So with you hiding, whether it's an island or anything like that, they have to think that there's a chance that that is a daze in your hand and that you yeah. and that they don't want to play a one drop into that unless they're they're willing to just lose that. Yeah. And then on top of that, like they might I mean, there there's all kinds of different things that they could be playing around and then they just don't do anything on their first turn and then it's surprise, here's a lightning bolt to the face at the end of your turn. You know, so yeah. and well, you know, it's it's not a huge value, but that one play could put you far enough ahead in the game to win. that they never come back. Yeah, and the other the benefit to it is that that the um, the the tapping, sacrificing, and searching for a land happens at instant speed. So you don't have to make a decision. Right, that, exactly. That, that, you that, can wait until, like that, I said, that, until that, the end of the turn yep. to make that decision. One hundred percent. You know, or you can wait. Maybe you know, use the scalding turn for example. You maybe you want. To play lightning bolt, but you do, but maybe you've got let's let's say you were playing a deck that probably doesn't exist where you would have a lightning bolt and a daze in your hand or whatever, mm-hmm. right? No, that that Delver plays. That. Okay, so yep, so you've common. got both of those in your hand, and you're like Chris said, waiting to play that counter spell. Now you have options. You can literally yep. play either of those cards. Yeah, or you can play a regular counter spell out of your hand. Yeah. Like it's just like you there there's counter spells like spell pierce which is another counter spell that costs one blue. Um but the I mean the other thing on top of that is that like if you just have a scalding tarn you're representing that you possibly have three counter spells in your hand. You could have a one mana counter spell, you can have days and you can have force of will. Yeah. So somebody you're you are likely <laughs> to put somebody one turn behind if they're thinking at that level. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you play a really average player, they're probably not even going to think about it because they don't. They're just going to play into it because they're like, either you have it or you don't, and I'm just going to play into it. But a player that's putting a lot of thought into the game, especially like, in, like I said, in Legacy, like when you, there's so many things that can happen on turn one. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, but, like I said, just just the ability to wait. You know, let's say you play that land, and and and, and most people might think, "Well, I played this." I need to break it immediately and go mm-hmm. get a land. Yeah. But that's not the case. Right. Because in the event that you need to respond to something, you can respond to it. You get a land, a usable mana on the table, mm-hmm. and you can use that mana and play a spell from your hand from either color yeah. in response to and whatever I mean, they decide to do. Like like I said, and Legacy and Modern is, is where that's really important, too. Because sometimes you'll have cards that are, like, you'll have two cards in your hand that both have, like... They both require two of one color. So you might have like a card that costs two black, which is Hem de Turok, which is a yeah. card that makes your opponent discard some cards. And then in your right hand, you have a card um, that costs two red or something like that. But you don't know which one you want to play on turn two. But you also have a reactionary card in your hand that, that you want to think about, like, what do I need to respond to the opponent? So you can wait until their opponent has done everything that they're going to do on their turn and then get your mana exactly where you want to be because you have all the information that you needed. Well, not all. You have enough information to make a decision... And you are you are playing at that level where you're you're taking your time 
and understanding the situation, you're making your plays more powerful because they're going to be more effective. Yep. Um, and, you know, those incremental plays might only add 1% to your chance to win the game. Yeah. But if you do that 10 times, sure. you just went to a 60-40 chance to win. Because, you know, at the beginning of the game, it's a 50-50 chance. Like, um, you know, and then... You the you know the the next play that you do you know you add another two percent or five percent or something like that you know and it keeps compounding the more percentage that it goes into your favor the faster that it goes into your favor sure you know what I'm saying like it, it, commander is an exception but if you're playing like a standard format or something like that like once you start getting ahead unless you make a misplay or play into like a board wipe or something like that you're probably going to stay ahead. Yeah. Um, and you might not, it might not be apparent where you're just completely dominating, but it could be a point where you both have three one ones on the table. So you have equal power and toughness on the table, but you have one more card than your opponent. And so, like, three turns down the road, your opponent's down to playing one card at a time, but you've got two, you got double the number of cards because you have, you still have that extra card in your hand. So when they finally make that play where that last card is worth it, you're ahead by. Yeah. A, a whole nother card yeah yeah i mean uh so i think um the thing that goes really unstated in in magic um or really in anything that's competitive is always having options mm-hmm. right and that's what a fetch or a shock is going to allow you to do is have options that's what a co- more cards will allow you to do is have yep. options when you're cornered into i can only do this yeah. Like you can only make so many good plays. Yeah. Cuz you only have one. Mm-hmm. But if I have, you know, multiple colors of mana that I can decide at what I want at any time. If I have multiple cards in my hand that do multiple things. Yep. I I can better adapt my play to whatever's happening. And mm-hmm. then, like I said that's not limited to just magic. That's anything, you know, um to use uh, Counter-Strike for an example, you know, the op's great, but unless you can use it from a functional standpoint at close range and long range, like, you're kind of screwed, right? Right. Doesn't, doesn't make sense to run around with this gun that if anybody's in, in within X distance of you, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. So you have to be good enough. It's possible, but you have to be good enough at that point to be able to use it at those things. Right. But So so this is where some people go wrong, right? They'll choose the weapon that is, is all this is the best guy in the world or the best statistically this is the best one mm-hmm. well maybe you're not good with that one yeah maybe you're better with the ak right yep. you're you're more consistent you can fire at different ranges better that's going to allow you to adapt better to multiple situations and and so i mean i think options is one of the ways um that you just always stand a better chance to, to to win if you don't back yourself into a corner. And I think that's an interesting point that you make about games in general is that, like, I mean, I'm kind of going to bring this back to Magic real quick, is that, like, just because one deck is the best deck doesn't mean it's the best deck for you. Sure. Because if it doesn't match your play style, you're not going to play it correctly. Yeah. Like, if, if the way that that deck is supposed to be played is your favorite way to play, then that's probably the deck that you need to play. Or if you're good at that style. But if you play, you know, if, if you're used to always playing a red deck, but the best deck is a blue deck, you're probably not going to do as well. Because until you get that proficiency with the blue deck, because you're not going to know when to counter spells. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, you're going to have an idea like, well, this is a powerful spell. I should counter it. You know, that kind of thing. But you you don't have that experience and that, that know-how of, like, being put into a situation where you made the wrong decision 
and if you made the other decision, you could have won the game. Sure. Um, you're you're not going to see that. I mean, you're going to put people in those positions occasionally. Where if you're you're a blue play, you know, you're playing against a red deck, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage because you know how that deck works, and then you're playing your deck and you're playing around. Some yeah, of that's the, neither the here things. nor there, really. I think. I mean, I think the end of the the end all be all, or the kind of the idea though of all of it, even magic or video games, is play to your strengths, like yeah. play to what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're you're gonna do better at that. Yeah. So um, yeah, especially it, like you said, if you enjoy it, you're gonna play more. Yeah. So if you really like the way your deck plays, you're, you're gonna you're gonna practice it way more. Yep. And you're gonna and you're gonna be it. able to beat people that don't really like their deck, but it is the best deck. Right. And that's the other point I want to make. I wanted to what I was going with that was there really isn't a best deck. I mean, there might be something if you look at the statistics of among top decks or at tournaments or whatever, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and realistically, when you're talking, you're talking like like single digit percentages that, right. that even the quote unquote tier one decks are are winning. Yeah, and yeah. I mean the thing is, is Magic, you know, the Wizards of the Coast, when they see a deck that hits too many percentage points of winning, oh, they'll fix it. They get rid of a they get rid of something so that those points come back down. Yeah, you know, like my favorite deck is Grixis Delver in Legacy, and. Uh, they banned Death Shaman. They banned Death Ride Shaman, which is unfortunate because it's my favorite card in in that deck. But um, but the deck's still good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it just knocked it a couple percentage points. It just down. levels the playing field yeah. a little bit, right? I mean, the the, the thing is, and Death Ride Shaman's. A, I mean, it's not a new card, quote unquote, but it's certainly of newer cards, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It, it's not from the 90s. No, it's not from the early 2000s. No, it's from like 2013. I think. So that's what I'm saying, was, right? Yeah. So so it probably. I'm sure that card didn't immediately flip the tables and make that deck broken. Right. It took time for people to be like, hey, this in this deck is real good if we do this with it. Mm-hmm. And then so that meta builds over time. And then you get to the point where it's like, all right, it's saturated. It is kind of broken. We do need to fix it a and little bit. And then other decks adjust to that deck too. Sure. You know well, there's I mean? like, so okay, like they're it. doing this. We need to do this. Mm-hmm. So you put something in your sideboard. I mean, it, you know, it, the meta always kind of adjusts. And, and Wizards of the Coast is really good, I think, about trying to keep the, the meta fairly stable and balanced. Um you know, Historically, they weren't, but they well, they're doing a good lot now, right? I mean, they, they it, have yeah. a lot more on their shoulders. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. the most successful card game that exists, so yeah. um, they they kind of can't afford to screw it up anymore. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, even uh, even in video games, that that was what I wanted to say before we we kind of closed it out. Was you know, we talked about like the best deck, and and there's I see a lot of time. I'm I'm bad about it too. Where you power game, um, where you're kind or you min max, where you're trying to like this is the best gun. This is the gun that I'm gonna use. Mm-hmm. It has the best stats. The best players in the world use this one. This is the one. Um, but maybe you perform better with another one. Yeah. And it's not. There's nothing. There. The, the, the difference is usually not that groundbreaking between yeah. like even whether it's in Magic between the best deck and the worst deck in a competitive level, right? But I mean, like if you like, just like what you're saying. I mean, if the best gun is two percent better, but you are four percent better with the other gun. You which better. one's the better gun? Right. You're, now you're two percent better with that gun. So there, there is some merit for starting with the best. Like sure. if you're if you're brand new into something, like it might be worthwhile to go ahead and do the best and see if that becomes your play style. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the the great example is Smash Brothers, right? 
there are characters that are like these are the good ones. Mm-hmm. This is quote unquote the best. This is quote he has the best this or the best that. Yep. And, and you know, so I was like trying to play those characters. So I'm like this is the best. This must must mean I'll win more. And it just yeah. wasn't the case. No, when, like Mewtwo. Like I don't understand. Like that's supposed to be one of the absolute best. Yeah. guys in that game. I have no clue how people use yeah. that guy. I mean, P- Pikachu <laughs> is another one. Pikachu and Pichu are people like, these guys are great. And I'm, yeah. I'm playing them and I'm like, I get sort of. Yeah. But but I play with other characters and I do way better because I have more fun. I like their moveset better. It mm-hmm. just clicks with me more. Um, it feels more natural. Plus you're not, you're not playing people at the top level. Yeah. So. I mean, it doesn't like, really matter, right? They're, we're doing different stuff. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're not playing people that are all playing the top tier characters, like, your character might not be the paper the, the meta to the rock right? yeah. on those. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, I was looking at some statistical analysis. Little Mac is like one of the absolute worst guys in the game, um, according to, um, you know, professional players or whatever. But when you play him, like you smash people. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's, it doesn't really matter. If you're playing at a competitive level, then you might want to look at it slightly different. But again, the percentage points that really matter are your skill level with those items. They're, they're all tools. Sure. And if, if you can't use the tool properly or use a different it's not tool, not a good better, tool. Like exactly. <laughs> like some people might be able to saw wood with a regular saw better than they Isaac. can do with a circular saw. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, obviously if you practice enough with that circular saw, you're going to be better with the circular saw because it is technically a better way to cut a 2 by 4 You know what I'm saying? But if you're just really, really good with two by four, or cutting 2 by 4s with a regular hand saw, then, you know, maybe it's just not worth it to, to teach yourself how to use the, you know, the spinning saw or whatever, or circular saw, sorry. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Like, it's... Whatever your skill set is or whatever your play style is, is much more important than the other things. Um, because, like I said, if you don't enjoy it, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And no, these are all games. It's not, it's not worth it, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, the, you know, obviously, I would I imagine that most of the people that we're talking to right now and even ourselves, we're not professionals. So we do these things for fun. And, yes, it is fun to be competitive. But at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, um, it's kind of dumb to continue mm-hmm. to do it for the sake of being 5% or less really better yeah um or the potential to be five percent better i mean that's the bottom line right is you know most of the times these games are pretty balanced which we'll we'll probably talk about that maybe next week is is balance in games um but but really most games that are popular are pretty balanced and that's one of the reasons that they're popular Mm -hmm. um is because the game they whether it's a video game or a card game or a board game or whatever the, the the manufacturers have done a good job at making sure um, that one thing isn't just clearing away the best, yeah. and, and that and nothing else is viable. And there's something that can beat that thing, right? Yeah. Like like a sniper rifle, like you said, is really good from long range, but it's probably not going to beat the Uzi when you're up close. Yeah, like when they Maybe when not. they just run up on you. You know what I mean? So you know, red deck um, could be the best deck, but it gets crapped on by the blue deck because the blue deck just counters everything the red deck's trying to do. And then finally it plays a big monster when the red deck runs out of ammo. You know I mean? It's just, you know, and then, you know, but the blue deck gets crapped on by the green deck because it's got even bigger creatures. Or it's able to play creatures fast or whatever. And it's it's putting pressure on before Mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's interesting balancing games. So I'm glad, you know, we didn't get to it today, but we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to, to look at what you enjoy the most and what you personally do the best with and not necessarily just look for the things that are statistically broken. 
yeah um and stuff like that because at the end of the day you're just trying to have fun and i guarantee you the difference will be negligible if best Mm-hmm. Um, and just remember to have fun with these games, man. Like sometimes it's it's hard not to get salty sometimes when something happens. You know, like you you're the first person taken out right before you're about to win the game. Uh, like that's Monday, the, that's the glory. That's the glory of <laughs> Commander, man. I mean, it really is. It kind of sucks because you know I know you're used. To, you you you've played it mostly in Legacy, where like you said, like once you kind of get ahead and you get your steam, yeah. Like there's not a whole lot somebody can do to stop you, yeah. But in Commander, that is just not the case. Oh, no. Um, you have three other people that are trying to screw up everything that you're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's just so many. There, there's, you know, you're playing on regularly. We're playing turn 10 plus. Mm-hmm. So there's just so much more you can do when you've got 10 mana on the field. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's just assuming that you're not generating mana in some ridiculous way. Mm-hmm. You're just using straight up one land drop per turn kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know... I, it's one of the things I like about the commander, but it's also one of the things that is frustrating because mm-hmm. you know one of the, I, I, well, before, it's, I don't want to go into a discussion about this, but one of the reasons I don't really like uh, most board games is because there's too little control over what's happening. Yeah, like when you remove, and this is just me, but when you remove too much skill from the equation, I just don't have fun because yeah. I feel like I'm just like, well, fuck, let's just roll dice and see who rolls higher all night. Mm-hmm. What's the point of even doing anything? Like, like we're putting all this time and effort in. We could just take the board away, take the figures away, take all that away. Let's just shoot crap. Let's play, play Yahtzee all night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, because yeah. a lot of those games is just like, well, who moves around the board faster? Which is based on who rolls better. Which is based. I mean, and just like that's not fun. There's no strategy. There's no way for me to win. Mm-hmm. I understand there having to be some element of chance, right? Like, you couldn't play Magic in it. And if you played Magic and it was like pick you get to pick your starting hand like there in that situation there would 100 percent be a best and if you didn't have that starting hand you would lose yeah that's i mean that's it's that simple right like if you got to pick you know there has so there has to be some randomness to it to make it uh work but there also has to be an element of skill and decision making that actually do have tangible impact on the game mm-hmm and not just, I made this decision, but it really doesn't matter. Because if I roll shitty or roll good next turn, it's just going to do whatever. Right. Um, so that's one of the reasons I, you know, I do like some of the games I like. And I don't like a lot of the games that I don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, where it just feels like I have, it doesn't matter what I choose to do here. My The outcome is going to be determined by a random number generator or a dice roll. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know... And the other thing, I mean, the thing I like about Magic is that part of deck building is eliminating as much of that randomness as possible. Which is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. But, I mean, but like, especially once, you, once you get a mana base that's, like, doing good, like, it's 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 a pretty rewarding thing. Because, like, when I first started playing my five-color dragon deck, I was really frustrated because yeah. I couldn't get the mana right. And then finally, like, the next week, like, I really worked on, like, what mana do I need to make this work? And, I mean, I... I don't You're really like consistent. I don't yeah. really feel like I've I've had I've hit a snag. You know, I mean, I've been able to get like five colors on turn five every time, um, and that's I mean, that's just kind of a rewarding thing to add that consistency to that deck. Yeah. You know, it's not going to win every time, but my if if I can cast my commander on the turn I needed to cast him every time, my chances of winning are going to be much better. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the mana base is is definitely one of the trickier parts to get right. Um, the proportion of creature spells to draw spells to ramp spells to i mean all of it is important to right board wipes to single yeah. targets <laughs> yeah i mean um and sometimes you have to just pick that you're gonna focus on x y and z yeah. 
and leave out A. You just got to hope that somebody else is going for those other things. <laughs> yeah. But then but then you put yourself in a spot where it's like, yeah, you you are letting everybody else have the board wipes, but those board wipes aren't going to happen when it's advantageous to you now. Yeah. They're going to happen when it's that at most advantageous for that person, you yeah. know. So, but but then you're getting some incremental value from it because now you wasted their mana and their turn and their card slot in the deck yep. to be able to do it. So, I mean, there's definitely something to it, but I like I like a balanced toolbox approach, and I think that's kind of what this dragon deck is kind of put together because I have, like, some single target. I have, like, some single target removal. I have, like, some board wipes. I've got, like, a little bit of counter magic, some draw, but it's it's... Like I'm, 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 I'm still kind of like messing around with it a little bit. I don't. I'm not saying it's perfect or anything like that, but it's to the point where I feel like it's enough of a toolbox that I can at least compete in all the games yeah, that we're yeah, playing sure. in. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've just found that I do better um, when I'm less worried about what other people are doing and more, more focused on just doing the things that I need to do to win and mm-hmm. just kind of ignoring everything else. Yeah, um, and then being able to win despite what everybody else has done. Yep, like. It's great that you've done all this stuff in six turns, but it's not going to matter because I'm just going to win. Yeah. I mean, and that works better for me when I've spent more time trying to, how do I interact or how do I get rid of all this stuff or how do I make sure I have all these cards? And it's like, it just never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so now w- with my deck building approach, I'm, I'm more focused on, okay, what are my win conditions and how do I make sure that I can get to those win conditions before somebody else can, can get to theirs? Yep. Which is, it, it say, sounds really simple, um, but I even mean so that like I'm leaving, potentially leaving out counter magic and potentially leaving out board wipes and, and some of these things that people might say these are staples to have in a commander deck. Mm-hmm. But from, from what I've experienced, you just don't have, unless you build them in enough proportion, it's not going to matter. Like you want counter spells? Well, you've got a hundred cards. You're going to draw seven. Yep. So how many counter spells do you think you need in that deck to reliably have counter magic? Yeah, I mean, the other thing is you're going to have a little bit more than that because the turn that that counter magic really matters is probably going to be more like five or six. But so you I mean, see my point, yeah, though, right? I mean, you're right? still like, talking about 12, maybe 15 cards into that 100-card deck. So you're 15% into your most, deck. I mean, there are cards that I've spent at least... I mean, we're probably talking t- cards that I've spent 5 to $20 on that I've never fucking played. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, oh, this card is so yeah. good. I'm gonna need this card. It's gonna win me the game, and I've just never seen it. Yeah, I've got I've got like three cards that I'm like, why have I never seen these cards yeah. in that dragon deck? Like Teferi's Protection, I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah, uh, there's two board wipes that bring all of my creatures back, back onto the battlefield that I've never seen. And I'm like. I just dump dragons into the into the graveyard. I'm like, I just want to play it one time. Like, please give me the opportunity <laughs> to wipe somebody's board and put like six dragons onto the battlefield. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, you know, it, like you said, it's a balance. Um, and which way that you want to go is is, is not an easy an easy answer. No, um, and, and I just think um, you know, so there are ways around it, obviously. But like, you know, if you are. Are, and this is, becomes specifically important at the higher level where you're not necessarily relying on just straight up old school beat down. Like, I'm just going to continually follow this mana curve, play bigger creatures, and we're just going to aggro each other to death. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to get to like doing combos and these high, like these faster win situations, mm-hmm. and you need to accomplish a specific thing or have specific cards. Like you don't have room to just say, okay, well this one card does this one thing. Yeah. So that's good enough. Yeah. Right. Like, and I mean, and that's a big part of tuning that deck It's like, 
when you're playing these games, like how many times do you have a card in your hand and you're just like, this card's doing nothing for me. Yeah. Even though I, even though it's like one of the best cards, you know, but but it's it's not relevant at that situation. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, every time that you think that about that card, you might want to reevaluate whether there's a better card that that could be in the deck. Cause like every time you're in that situation, you're like, man, I wish I had Teferi's protection or whatever in this, in this hand. Uh, or I wish I had counter magic. Well, maybe you need to throw a couple counter spells in that deck to make that difference. Right. So, and I guess that's my point, right? Is like, so instead of me focusing on, board wipes and counter magic and doing these things that like kind of protect me and insulate me and stop other people from doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I need, I put more focus in putting cards in my deck that directly get me to where I want to be. Right. Um, Because before, if it's like, okay, well I'm going to try and do all of this. What happens is I never have any of it when I need it Mm -hmm. and I'm just spread too thin. Yeah. Where instead, it, it just worked out better for me where it's like, look, I'm going to let you do whatever you want, but I have a real good chance of winning on turn four. Yeah, and, and And maybe that's not going to happen. There might be some great games I have to grind out. Like, obviously, you always want to have plan B, um, but, you know, it just, for me, it, it just hasn't made sense, at, at least from a deck building perspective, to try and do all of that stuff. Yeah. I agree. Um, and so, like I said, I mean, if, like, um, I'm thinking about building a mono black rat deck, and, and, um, yeah, there's a lot of the black, great black cards that I'm just not putting in the deck because mm-hmm. even though Children. I want to, yeah, yeah, right. It's a great card, right? But it doesn't do what I want to do. And mm-hmm. there are other cards that work better with the other things that I'm doing in the deck. Yeah. Um, but, but for instance, one of the things I want to be able to do is untap my commander to abuse his ability. Well, yeah, sure. I could just use, there's one card that does that best, but I've got like six in there that do the same thing Yeah. because I don't want to just have to tutor for that every time mm-hmm. or, or try and just hope that that card on the top of the deck is that one. Yep. I want to be able to have that same chain of events happen reliably because if I can't do it with this one, I can do it with this one. Exactly. And I'm sure there'll be times when I have two or three of those cards in my hand, but it'll be better than zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the bottom line, right? Is I'm trying to do this thing. So I need to make sure that on a consistent basis that can happen. And that's built on redundancy in your deck. Yeah. Um, and that's why the, the standard formats are way easier to build, right? Because you're like, I want to do these two things, and there are these cards that do those two things, and I can have four of them. I mean, and, you know, to your point there, that's why um, cards like your tutors are really powerful. Oh, so if 100%. you don't know what a tutor is in Magic, basically there there's a, a ton of different ones, but each one, each color has like a specific thing that it'll do. But we'll just say it lets you go get a specific card out of your deck. So some of them let you get any card out of your deck. Some like are only um, creatures. creatures, but it just depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah. But they're really powerful because they turn this 100 card singleton deck into a 100 card two of each in the deck. Yep. Because now that card can be any of the other cards. It's going to cost you mana. It's going to cost you a card, but it can be any of those cards now. Yep. Yep. Except for a land, but. Well, I guess no. no actually, I, I, could, I mean, one hundred percent. You could die ball. You could one hundred percent. You could one hundred percent. And a right. uh, vampiric tutor. Yeah. So, so it can be any of those cards you, that you that you need it to be at that time. So, and it and it honestly is as dumb as that sounds. It might be a land. Yeah. I mean, y- you might have every single one of your combo pieces in your hand, but you're missing one mana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, or I, you just need to be able to cast your commander, and you're missing that one. Yeah, color. and that's the thing, right? Is it's situational, and it allows again. What does it do? It gives you options because no matter what is going on with that tutor, you can find an answer. Mm-hmm. If you've got an answer in that deck, it is available. Yep. 
Um, and, and I, well, I think demonic tutor is only a sorcery. So that's unfortunate because you can't do it on somebody else's turn. Um, but still, right. I mean, you get to your turn, you can go get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You see, if I see you building up a crazy board state over there and I've got some way to blow, if I have a board wipe in my deck, well, I need to go get this because Chris is about to kill everybody. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's that simple or, you know, I mean, there are a thousand things. I need some card to ramp or I need some card. Um, to finish my combo, or I, there's a bunch of creatures on the board. I need I need to, to be able to block, or, or you I mean, just have to kill that commander because it's yeah. got infinite tokens on it. Yeah, <laughs> or counters. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. So. That happens a bit with Animar. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, it's just really deck building is a really interesting um, thing, especially in Commander, because I think it is it is much more of an art in Commander than it is in Standard or Legacy or Modern, simply because of the the lack of using multiple cards. Yeah. And having to have more cards. I mean, and the I, number of cards that you can choose from. Yeah. You know, like there's so many cards that you would never, ever seen play. Well, but part of if it, is, it wasn't for command. Part of it is because you don't have a choice, right? Yeah. You have a hundred cards and you also can only have one of each. Mm-hmm. So whereas in a normal deck, you have only 60 of, of a portion of which are lands, but you also can have multiples of each one. So like those cards that work better for your goals, like you can just have four of them. Mm-hmm. So your chances are that much higher of getting one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the other thing is there's only a so big of a card pool to pull from. So if I can only have one of each one, like this card's really good. And if I could have four in this deck, I would, but I can't. Well, there's, now I've got a hole of three cards that I need to find other things that do similar stuff or accomplish the same goal, mm-hmm. but probably aren't as good. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So you get, so you kind of get, bring a card in that like nobody ever plays this in most formats because there's this other card that you would just have four of. Yeah. You know, like you would never have, a, was it like Diabolic Intent or whatever, which is a tutor. It's like four mana sorcery to tutor, right? But, if, but yeah, it, but why if would tutors you, are that important, then but, you might spend that four mana. Well, you might, but my point is in, in a standard deck, let's say you wanted to tutor, which you probably wouldn't, but if you did, right, you would just use four demonic tutors. Mm-hmm. But because you can't use four demonic tutors in a commander deck, you're going to use one demonic tutor, one vampiric tutor, one you know diabolic intent or whatever. I forget yeah. what they what those other tutors are called, but they're like you know four and five mana, and it's like they don't make sense, but they make sense when you can only have one of the good ones. And those cards are so powerful; they're banned in almost all of those formats. So really, yeah, yeah, you can't play with it. Like I don't think I don't know of there. Well, enlightened tutor might be legal in legacy. I don't honestly remember, but it's surprising. But basically, any tutor that's two or less. Is banned in legacy. Interesting. I guess that makes sense because if you've got a, if you've got mana, it would just make it would make cantrips worthless. Like, why would you play a cantrip to hopefully get a good card when you can just play tutors in its and its place get it. and get exactly the card that you need? Yeah, that makes sense. Because I mean, that's all a cantrip is really doing is giving you another chance to find the a powerful card. Right. So, like, you're you know, a cantrip is what cantrip means is you know, pay what you know, pay one blue draw a card and so basically you know on on hindsight like it just looks like you're just drawing a card for a card so it's like why not just make that an action card but the action cards in your deck are you know you're playing with the best cards and then you there's not as many cards that are going to replace those cards right so if you if you're going to cantrip and you're going to dig for these other cards um you're making your deck good 
because again, you're removing cards from the deck. Yep. Um, you're you're getting a second chance at trying to find that card that you need. Um, but like I said, if if it was a tutor where you could just go find it for one black, you would just play a, a ton of those because you're you would be perfect because you'd always have the right card because you. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if in um, Black Red or Animator, you would use four demonic tutors and probably four vampiric tutors. Yeah, I mean, in that deck, actually, it, it that deck runs the best tutor that you that is legal, which is Buried in Alive. Tomb. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Buried Alive is the bigger version of yeah. it, but yeah, in Tomb is the yeah the one that makes more sense. Which, I mean, it's it is a tutor. It's basically, I mean, it's not you called a tutor, it, but it goes and grabs exactly what you need at the time that you need it. Yep, and puts it in your graveyard. Puts it in your graveyard, which is where you'd rather have it than your hand. Yep, because <laughs> that Grizzle Brand is going to cost one swamp instead of eight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's, it, deck building is really interesting and it's one of those things that I, I think, um, everybody it's kind of, I, I hate to say this, but I don't think what I, where I started was kind of net decking where I'd basically take somebody else's list, um, and maybe take out a bunch of the expensive lands or some of the mm-hmm. really expensive cards to get kind of a more budget version. Or what I did for the first two was, uh, more or less go to EDH rec and kind of look at the commander and then basically just pull all the most the popular cards that made sense in that deck and that works pretty well mm-hmm. like you will definitely get a playable deck doing that but it's just not efficient because right. you're trying to you don't have direction you're not trying to do a specific thing um it worked out pretty well with azuri because azuri is pretty much just like put counters on all your shit yeah um, but with animar it, it didn't because there's a lot of combo decks in animar there's like a lot of aggro decks with animar there's a lot of stuff like that, so it kind of you were all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and then now it's kind of like, well, I know now that I need to do this one specific thing, so I need to find ways to do that more efficiently, right? Um, and really, that that and I probably need to go. I that deck could use a lot of improvement, and I guarantee you, if I went through it again and rebuilt it, it would be, I would probably at least change forty cards in that deck. Yeah. Um. But but you know, it's it's neither here nor there. I mean, it's a good learning experience, and and it's part of the fun for me is being able to like, okay, here's the idea I have in my head for a strategy based on this one card, the commander. Mm-hmm. Let's see how well I can make that work out. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the thing I like about Commander is that, like, you can just constantly tune those decks. Like, I'm constantly looking at new cards where it's like, damn, that actually, that would fill this hole that I feel like I've been missing. um, Or add this extra little bit of consistency to this deck or whatever. Like, I'm just, I mean, I'm constantly, like, looking at new cards and, like, I need to add that card. But what do I take out, you know? Yeah, that gets Um, to be the hard part because everything, you know, at a certain point does serve a specific purpose. Um, And it's hard to be like, well, what do I need more, this mm -hmm. or this? Right. You're kind of like, well, in this situation, I need this. And in this situation, I need this. So which one's more, more, happens more often? Uh, Which one's more, you know, going to get you to win more. I mean, mm. I think that's the other thing is I, the mistake that I made before is I'm, I'm trying to prevent other people from winning when really the cards that you want to put in are the ones that make you win. Yeah. Um, because yeah, other, other people are always going to be trying to win for the most part. You know, you mm-hmm. have the random guy that plays group hug or that just plays uh, a control deck just to screw everybody else. Yeah. But for the most part, at least in our play group, everybody from turn one is just trying to win. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to build their board state. They're not trying to shut you down. If they do, if they have to, or they have the card in their hand at the right time, they might. Right. But for the most part, like no one's playing a ton of removal. No one's playing a ton of control. No one's playing a ton of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so the goal shouldn't be, how do I stop everybody else? Really? In my opinion, it should be, how do I win first? Yeah. Um, 
It is, and it's kind of an interesting strategy. And the other point of that is it might change when we play with other people. Mm-hmm. We start playing those other controlling people when it's like everything I'm doing is just getting shit on. Yeah. Then it's like, do I, do I even have the staying power and I mean, and that's to make the other that thing. work? Like you were talking about net decks earlier. A net deck is the way that it is because of the meta that they play in. Yeah. So that deck might not be good at all in your meta. Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's probably going to be okay. But it, but depending on what everybody else, like if you're trying to play a single target control deck or something like that, where you're just, you just have a ton of like single target removal and, and counter spells and stuff like that. But you play in a, in a, in a group where there's two aggro players that yeah. are constantly playing these cheap little creatures or tokens or something, yeah. right? Um, it's just not going to work. Yeah. It's, it's not going to work at all. Or, you know, you might be putting that combo player in his place. But while you're doing it, you're just getting your, your, you know, your life total just eaten alive. Yeah. So it's just, it's just one of those things to think about. Um, you know, the most important thing that I'm going to, I'm going to keep telling you guys is just, you know, with these games, just have fun, like do what's fun to you. Yeah. Um, unfortunately if you're a control player and that's fun to you, I mean, that's, that's fine. Like do that, but know that all of us it is hate fun. you. It is fun. <laughs> I will say there are some, some controlly aspects to the, the rat deck that I've prototyped. So yeah. it's not as bad as, as it, it's just, it's, I, I'll, I'll, it's funny, so funny to me that you hate on control players. It, but you control you like your worked our deck was a, sort of a control deck. Um, it didn't like not let people untap their mana. Mm-hmm. But you I didn't con- counter anybody's spell. No, I but, let people but, do whatever they wanted. You, it just came at a cost, right? But that's the same thing. Is it you're though? disincentivizing somebody to, to play the game. Yeah, but I'm not controlling it. Like but, you but still also- have control whether you do it or not. But but so I don't really have a choice, right? At a certain point, I can't. I can only take so much damage, and I need to do so many things to win. Mm-hmm. So you are basically stopping me from from doing the things that I need to do to win. Whether that's from me not being able to tap mana or me not being able to spare six life to play a spell, mm-hmm. it's the same end result. Yeah. So that's my point: is it, you're, you're accomplishing the same thing just in a different way. Um, yeah. And it but- feels a little better because you're not saying no static orb, don't untap your shit. But yeah, but that's that's not like I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying, but it's not a control deck to me because I am not actually controlling anything that you do. I am just disincentivizing you from making certain decisions. I mean, yeah, um, it, a control deck is not only going to disincentivize you from making certain decisions because you have to worry about whether they have the counter spell, but they also have the counter spell. You know what I'm saying? Or they have those board wipes constantly. Um, you know, th- they're making they're making it hard for you to do things because they have all these little, like you said, like a static orb. Well, probably not a static orb, but like winter orb. You know, winter orb stasis. Or, 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 you know, just. Uh, um, what is it, uh, Ghost Prison or whatever, where you have to pay mana to attack. Yeah. You know, those kinds of... They're playing those kinds of things um, to where you basically can't do anything at all. Like, they can completely lock you out of the game, whereas with Rurik Thar, like, you can always play creatures. Always. And he's fine with it. He has no problem with, your, with you playing But it's, it's the same... It, it is just, it's the same thing. It's just a, a different perspective on it. Um, and, and the control deck does have weaknesses, too, um, because for the most part... They don't win. They just make the game suck until somebody wins. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Like, um, th- they don't hate out people to the point where they win. They hate out people to the point where they just don't want to play the game anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, the problem is when you have enough control stuff in your deck, you don't have a solid win con usually. Yeah, um, or, you're, or you're just a combo deck and you're just trying to get to those pieces. combo cards. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to lab man out or something. I mean, I, I get it, but um, I, I think that it, it accomplishes the same thing when you disincentivize people from... Because, you know, you talked about two life being a significant portion of your life total, like when you're shocking mm-hmm. land in. Well, then six is 15%, right? Um, if two two is five. So at the same time, that cost is so steep that does it. I mean, you have other cards that basically well, do the same thing. And other we're also talking about a 40, 40 life total compared to a 20 life total. So it's only it's 50% more effective. No, it's the same, right? So um, two, two life is 5% of 40. Right. So six life is fifteen percent of forty. No, it's five life is or two life is five percent of twenty. Nope, it's ten percent. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, no, I'm, I was thinking about it wrong. But but either way, so so in my comparison, <laughs> I was talking about two. I was talking about two life in a twenty, like in twenty. Yes, ten percent. But regardless, I mean, it, you know, fifteen percent of your life to to do something that your deck relies on you doing mm-hmm. i'm not that's the that's the thing right is you're assuming well you just play a creature well maybe that's not the, the way the deck works right just like well a, a control player might shut down a combo player but they probably won't affect an aggro player as much mm-hmm. i mean outside of the uh, you know tapping and not untapping stuff um but you know it, it is the same thing it's just a different you put it you put a little smiley face on it and some rose tinted glasses and say it's not but i mean you you're you are not really keeping people from doing it but you are yeah they just have to build their decks differently yeah which is a, i mean that's the same argument you could say against <laughs> playing against a control well no. they just if they just built this stuff into their deck it wouldn't be not, a problem that's not necessarily true because you can count like most counter spells that are played in commander you can counter anything right whereas rekthar just doesn't like non-creature spell right I mean, yeah, but my point, though, is you could build a deck to combat a control player. It's usually just more control. Yeah. A different type of control. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you can still build... Well, you you can make the same argument and say, well, just build your deck different. I mean, and you you could you could make that argument for anybody that's winning, right? Well, just do, build a deck different. Well, I could build a deck to specifically go after what you're trying to do. I'm just saying, like the thing about Rurikthar is he that card is a uh, he helps define a meta, whereas a controlled deck doesn't really. Like he incentivizes you to play creature decks, which I think are more fun, which most people think are more fun. Control decks, it they don't really care what you're playing. Because they're just trying to stop everything that you're doing no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if you're playing a creature deck, they're trying to stop that too. You know what I'm saying? With Rurik Thar, I'm not trying to stop you from playing all your creatures. I want you to play your creatures. I think it's more fun that what way. What if you need spells? That's what I'm saying. What if you need artifacts? Then then you better play them before Rurik Thar comes out on the table. Or just kill Rurik Thar. Or, but or, you, t- or talk, talk your... Talk one of your opponents into killing Rorik Thar, and they take that six damage. But that's what I'm saying. Here, that's the thing, right? Is is you can't even the, use I mean, a kill the other, spell. The other thing is is really like I, I understand what you're saying, but Rorik Thar is one card in the hundred that does that. Uh, a control that, deck that you have access to at all times, and that you can cast. But at he's all times. really expensive, and he gets really, really, really expensive when he gets killed. I know. I'm not. But I'm not I, saying, I saying. I'm not saying there aren't ways around it. I mean, it's 100. But it's worth one it. card in the whole thing. Whereas a control deck. I mean, if you just has, is controlling with all the cards. I mean, it'd be easy enough to build a control deck that just sat on counter spells, and yeah. every time you try to cast him, he just never resolves. Yeah. So he gets two mana more expensive, and he never hits the battlefield. So we never take the damage for the spells. Yeah. I get it, but then that's what I'm saying is you're you're forcing people to build decks that you don't like. Yeah, you could you could play a creature deck 
quote unquote, but like those really aren't that great. And you're not, yeah, but and, they're more fun. And Rukdar is not really winning because it's a creature deck. He's winning because you're hating on everybody else playing anything but creatures. Yeah. So it is really kind of um, defining. Yeah, I mean, it defines the meta, quote unquote. But like, I don't think um, you should basically corner people into playing just creature decks. When no, I hear that, but. But it, I'm not saying that you should just play creature decks. I don't think that anybody should do that. I'm saying that it incentivizes you to be more towards a creature deck. Because you can still play non-creature spells against Rurik Thar. It just costs 15% of your life. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, with my Rurik Thar deck, how much damage do... How much life do I usually have at the end of the game? Because I'm using my life as a resource, too. I play non-creature spells in Rurik Thar. I play plenty of them. Like, if there's something I don't need on the table anymore... It's going to get hit with a beast within, or or a chaos warp, or whatever, a board wipe, something. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it affects I, you too. There, but static orb or winter orb also affects the control player. So yeah, but most most people don't play static orb. Yeah, you're uh, like that. That card's stupid. Well, stasis affects you too. Yeah, but most control players don't play that card. They just play stuff that like keeps you from coming at them. Like that. That's pillow fording to me. I mean, yeah, but I mean, in commander, that's kind of what a control deck is doing is like stopping you from from getting them and then they counter those those other little things while everybody else beats each other up but i, yeah, I, mean, I heard you're saying man i mean it's it's just interesting to me because i mean i don't know i think we could <laughs> we could definitely make that argument and uh I, I think people would probably agree um that he is in, in a lot of ways a control deck okay well we won't we won't beat that dead horse anymore <laughs> um but anyways yeah i mean uh if you guys are interested at all in this magic talk we play every Monday at Cardinal, uh, we might change that schedule up a little bit in the near future if we start playing Legacy. When we start playing Legacy, um, but you guys are always more than welcome to come out and hang out uh, and play some cards. We'll teach you, uh, loan you some, loan you a deck if you need one, all that good stuff. Um, this Saturday we are going to be at Rec Bar also. Mm-hmm. Um, having that is our- a that is a revision from last week. Yeah. I think last week we said it was the 19th, and I apologize for yeah. anybody that was planning for the 19th. Um, I guess we just looked at it wrong or something and, and said the 19th, but it's going to be the 12th. Yeah. yeah. Which and- is this Saturday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day that we're releasing this. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> um, that's Yeah, that's that's the day it is. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun, as always. I think far. a ton of people are going to come out to this. Yeah, there's the first one of the year. First we one of the year. It's been, been almost two months. Yeah, almost yeah. two. Well, we haven't had an event in almost two months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a really good turnout. I'm looking forward to it. I actually don't know if I'll be able to make it, but we're going to try. Um, so, so yeah, we'll be there on Saturday. Um, we'll be at Cardinal on Monday. Um, is that is anything else? Am I missing anything else event-wise? No, I think that's the only two scheduled events we have. Yeah, uh, we don't forget, guys. We do have the store on Facebook. You go to the club page. You can go to shop, um, and you can get our shirts there. Our new there's some new colors: red, blue, and uh, purple, uh, and also the classic black too. That mm-hmm. that's available there online also. So if you guys are wanting a shirt or you want a different color or whatever, uh, you don't have to worry about coming to our events anymore. Or if you're not local, um, you can pick one up on uh, the club page shop. Um, that's about they, all. They help well, support us running future events. And stuff yeah, for like sure. That, so, I mean, the, the events that where we provide pizza or, or, or spending money to rent a place or something like, like Halloween, that. like that was. Yeah, I mean, we had to buy it. We had to get a DJ. We had to get you know decorations, candy, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Costs money. You don't think you don't think oh it's just a bag of candy, but you know you buy a couple of them that adds up. So. Um, we, we do appreciate all the support though, guys, everybody that's bought a shirt and all that kind of stuff. Everybody listens to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I think that's all we got for you this week, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll catch you next week. Peace.